Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. you are witnessing is real. The participants are not actors. They are actual litigants with a case pending in a California municipal court. Both parties have agreed to dismiss their court cases and have their disputes settled here in our forum. The, the Podcast People's Court. Parts of the now infamous dossier on Trump have proven to be true. I know the history of the dossier, but it hasn't been discredited. In fact, it's been the opposite. It's been corroborated. Much of the dossier has been corroborated. This discredited dossier, it which hasn't was been paid discredited. for, paid for. Your intel community has corroborated all of the details in there, the all, meeting. Some of the substance cont- content of the dossier, we were able to corroborate in our intelligence community assessment, which mm. from other sources in which we had very high confidence. We know that with the FISA application, the relevant parts of Christopher Steele's dossier were corroborated. If the application included information from the dossier, it would only be after the FBI had, in fact, corroborated information through its own investigation. We also know that as time goes on, more and more parts of the Steele dossier get corroborated. So when the president just refers to it as fake dossier, that is false? Uh, I... I don't think that's that, that is the accurate characterization for the entirety of the dossier. Clear, investigators have corroborated part of the uh, dossier. The dossier has been corroborated by the intelligence community. U.S. investigators have corroborated some of the allegations in that dossier. Yes. Although we do know that parts of it have been corroborated. It's not been corroborated, but it hasn't been disproven either. Is there anything in the dossier that has been disproven? No. But not one thing has been disproven. No major thing from the dossier has been conclusively disproven. To date, none of it has been disproven. And whole big parts of it are holding up. The dossier um, holds up well. None of it has been disproven. All of the allegations in it, I don't know that anything has been disproven. It's a fact that none of it, not one word, has been disproven. In fact, a lot of it turned out to be right on the money. Former high-ranking intelligence officials have told us on the record that there is nothing in the Steele dossier that they know to have been disproven. Much of the dossier has been corroborated. Do you not accept that I the, don't agree with that, Alice. This is our reporting, and this is what um, 
this is what crime fighting agencies have said, that the FBI would not have just taken a dossier to the FISA court and used that as their predicate for the surveillance. They had to corroborate it themselves. That's how they operate. If this BuzzFeed News report is true, then we are likely on our way to possible impeachment proceedings. If it were to be true, it means the president told someone to lie under oath, which very simply is a crime and is impeachable. If this story is true, we must begin impeachment proceedings. If you can prove that the president ordered it, that to certainly rise to the level of, uh, rises to the level of impeachable offense. We're going to know if the president of the United States committed a federal felony, and at that point we are in high crimes and misdemeanor, and we are in impeachment right. territory. Right. Is that an impeachable offense? Uh, this is suborning perjury. I think there's no question it's an impeachable offense. That is considered an impeachable offense. Absolutely, these are impeachable offenses. Inside that answer, I did hear the I word impeachable. Impeachment is a very fine alternative way to deal with this. Democrats will move maybe faster, maybe more aggressively toward impeachment. There are an awful lot of similarities between a couple of the articles of impeachment against Nixon and the elements of this story. The very same offense for which the House of Representatives moved to impeach Richard Nixon. In the past, been impeachable. Yeah, that is the exact way that uh, Nixon was kicked I know, out we of gotta office. Talk about it's one of the things that drove Richard Nixon out of office. CNN has not corroborated this reporting. CNN, we should be clear, has not independently confirmed this. CNN has not independently confirmed this reporting. It is important for us to note this morning that neither CNN nor any other major news outlet has so far confirmed BuzzFeed's report. Breaking news. A bombshell. Today, turning point. Today was historically bad for President. Today was a turning point. A turning point. Point here. The beginning of the end from President. We have another bombshell. Mike Pence have to assume the office of the presidency. Rumbling impeachment. Breaking news. Another bombshell. I believe this is the beginning of the end. I do too. The beginning of the end. He may be feeling the wall on him. All the walls closing in on him. The wall in on him. Breaking news. A new bombshell. Says this means the beginning of the end for President Trump. Trump will resign. Trump is going to resign. It's a tipping point. I know we've said it over. You think this is a tipping point? And over and over. Tipping point. And over and over. Breaking then Trump off the rails. It was the beginning of the end today. Beginning of the end. Breaking news tonight, new bombshell. Beginning at the end. The beginning of the end. The closing in. The walls closing in. The walls. Breaking overnight bombshell. This is a very dramatic. I think it might be near a tipping point. Do you think this is a tipping December 1st, 2017, you can mark it. This is the day that everything changed. The beginning of the beginning of the end. The beginning of the end. Of the, end. the beginning of the We begin tonight with the bomb. Trump is in a lot of trouble. Trump is in trouble. The president. Another hour, another bombshell. This is a tipping. Trump's going down. This president could. Resignation. Resignation. I don't think this president had his term. Mr. Trump will not serve out his term. Not serve out his term. No way. No how. News. Absolute bond. Donald Trump is not. And it's over. It's over. Closing in. The wall's closing in. This is going to be the hill. Breaking news tonight. I expect Trump to. We will be the watershed week. Trump is in. Trump's in a lot of trouble. It's a sign of a terrified old man. Walls. Closing in. The walls are increasingly on him. Tonight the walls are closing in. Today everything. This is the beginning of the end. A tipping point for the Trump administration. What a historic day. Shells. He's underwater. He feels those closing in. Turning point. We may be at a tipping point. It's the end. The beginning of the end. Another bombshell. 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 And welcome to part B, the podcast court. I know, cheesy. Uh, I couldn't help it. I uh, was thinking about it last night as I went to bed. And I go, you know, I'm going to fucking do the podcast court. And we're going to go on the media. And the media is the worst. And that soundbite 
of the 200 times I said the wall's crumbling. It's the end of everything. Sweet googly goo. So before we get into the main stuff, there are things I just have to cover. And I, I once again, uh, for those new to the show, this, the basic premise of this tomfoolery call a podcast is media bias. I mean, we literally have a media that is so incestuous with one party. I mean, it's one party and one party only. They push every crazy things they do. They obstruct against the Republican Party pretty much without fail. I mean, just saying obstruct is a thing. Because that's what we heard for eight years of Obama when we didn't do investigative reporting. We didn't go after anything. We we, we went a million years Never have gone so hard on some of the subjects we've done. I mean, the last podcast, Trump ordered a malt, a malt during a fucking meeting. He drank something. What the fuck? He doesn't take it seriously. He's a piece of shit. Two scoops of ice cream was fucking stories. They don't know the light switches are. And all the scandals that under Obama were not scandals. None of them were scandals. We We didn't call them scandals. They were... Uh, witch hunts and it's partisan was really huge uh, for the media. They, they would say all the time, it is freaking partisan for you to think that leaving some guys on a roof in Benghazi is the president's fault. And they took it so far, not even to tell us why were we in Benghazi? Did the weapons from Benghazi in Libya did they get in ISIS's hands? Oh, by the way, hey, all of Iraq got taken over by a group called ISIS, and they used all our weapons that we just left because Obama wanted to keep a campaign promise, and we're just going to get the fuck out of there. So since he gave it, MSNBC with Rachel Maddow gleefully, they rode that fucking last truck out of fucking uh, Iraq and made a big hubbub. I, I watched it live on TV. But right now we have Trump trying to pull everybody out of frickin' um, <clears throat> Afghanistan. And the entire media establishment went, oh, is that the right thing to do? Really? I mean, you didn't seem to care that we had all our weapons used by ISIS to take over a big chunk of the Middle East and fuck people up. That was under Obama, but we we didn't talk about that. Why, why what the fuck would we talk about that? That don't, don't make no sense. So to get to the Russia and the important stuff that's getting ignored, I got to talk about the people who are our media. And of course, Jeffrey Tubin. Stay from CNN. Jeff Tubin has asked for some time off while he deals with a personal issue, which we have granted him. Anonymous practitioner. Is the personal issue pulling his dick out in a work video call? RB Pundit. Isn't that what got him in trouble to begin with? Personal? It, this guy was jerking off. He had two video calls. I've read the Vice article. And there were two video calls. One of them was a election scenario where they were talking about how Trump is horrible and he's gonna it's going to take special forces to get him out of the White House and blah, 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 blah. And I think he was doing some personal time 
jerk into a cam model on the other. Somehow, he muted the wrong one, and he stood up with his dick in his hand. Now, understand, that guy was all over the last video just heard. He has been saying, also, at Watergate, worse than fucking, fucking, you know, all their goddamn tricky dick references. He was all over that shit. But he worked on CNN. So it's really important. I'm going to just read a few things just to show how the media circled the wagon for a man jerking off on a work Zoom. Something that definitely wouldn't go to Sean Hannity or Tucker. Could you imagine Media Matters of Tucker Carlson got shaking hands with the fucking sheriff caught? Could you imagine the uproar? There would be some, oh, well, if they would, like, cover things more importantly, we wouldn't have this problem. That's what they would say. Connor Friederoff, when OCAM Razor suggests someone humiliated themselves through a combo of technological error, pandemic circumstances, bad judgment, and bad luck, it seems like we should react with empathy, politeness, and forgiveness. And we would want to be treated rather than punitively mocked. That's the Atlantic. That's what they said. David Burge. Rejoice, Zoom wankers. Me Too movement has arrived. No shit. Others' responses. Okem Razor says he is apparently, you think, cranking your hog during a meeting is okay if nobody sees it. Stavid Hactum. Yeah, I totally want to be the person in the crowd that's wise and experienced person. Connor, with all due respect, expecting to not see your co-worker's cock while you're at work is not a Puritan mindset. A mistake is posting a screenshot on Twitter with a tab for porn visible, not self-pleasuring on a conference call. Really think about this guy. This guy was so turned on talking intersectionality politics, he was wanking his fucking weasel. For the record, I don't get aroused talking about politics. It's not a thing. Oh, this is a great story. Hunter Biden, finally we have some proof of what everybody's been talking about for years. How do all these politicians on the left get super fucking rich? I'm going to go get some goddamn KY and yankity, yankity, yankity during my podcast. And for the record, since I feel that the media thinks this is okay, during my 500 podcast, I've never jerked off. No, I'm not naked. There is not a porn tab open. No jerky-durky. Brian fucking Seltzer. Jeffrey Tubin has been sidelined at a pivotal moment in the run-up to the presidential election. The reason he exposed himself during Zoom call with New York colleague is what he says was an accident. Here's our full story. I'm not reading that tripe. I'm not going to read that tripe. Ian Miles Chong, how many accidents do you have to have to not only take off all your clothes? He was butt naked. There's a picture on the internet. He looked like a fucking hairy walrus. And beat your meat, also what Tubin did, while on a live Zoom call with multiple people. Josh Jordan, 
Who amongst us hasn't accidentally whipped it out on a Zoom call and started masturbating in front of your colleagues? CEO of Hydrosonics. An accident is when you have a soda in your hand and you spill it on your pants. Not when, well, you take your pants off. Tom and Lorzino has been sidelined as a white male journalist for got caught. Accident is WMJ for jerk off during a work call. Later on, Tuber and a fixture CNN has asked for some time off while he deals with a person issue, which we have granted. The network said, I asked him if he had my fur- any further comment, but he referred back to what he told Vice, including, I believed it was not visible on Zoom. Andy Zeister, will no one think of the guy who whipped out his junk during a work call? CNN has plenty of other talking heads who get off on Trump lost fantasy scenarios. Boom! Phil Kirpin hit it. Just fucking hit it. BuzzFeed brought off a whole article, wants sympathy for Tubin. Haven't you taken three minutes to crank it? That's a literal line from the fucking article. That's a, li- that's a line. No, I have not taken three minutes during work to jerk off. That's not a thing you do at work. You don't jerk off at work. And Seltzer... The guy who's on CNN, the media analyst, his whole he started like me in a podcast booth in his mom's basement saying Fox is the devil. He got hired by CNN. I mean, last night there was a segment on Tucker about how NBC employs somebody just like the Krasinski brothers, the K-File over on CNN. And their sole purpose is to go on the internet and find Trump supporters, just randos, and dox them. Find out where they work, find out their Amazon wish list, find everything you can, and ruin their fucking lives. That's their job. At the Peacock. But yet, every time a sexual referenced bad faux pas on the left comes out, we get think pieces about, well, is that really bad? I mean, Franken's a bad guy for pretending to grab somebody's tits while they're asleep, but did we need to lose him because we need his vote? That was articles, folks. But I remember Trent Locke getting run the fuck out for less. When I was in the military and just starting to pay attention to politics. I I remember that. Conservatives have to go away. But Bill Clinton can get hummers because it's none of your goddamn business. Or North Carolina candidate who's up in the polls by 3%. We need him for the Senate and it doesn't matter he had a sexting affair. Fuck that shit. Shut the fuck up. None of your business. So Seltzer... He had a soundbite that I had to put up front before I get into what I really wanted to cover today. Because, once again, he's a Me Too guy. Women must be believed. Fucking women, 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 women. Unless you're ACB, you're a piece of fucking shit. You're a fucking Catholic who abducted black kids. You know, all that shit. This is him talking to a Washington Times reporter. He's running for president of the United States. And this is serious. This is not last year's news. It's whether or not his son was coordinating to get him to talk to these Ukraine oligarchs and he was benefiting from it. I mean, it's just, it's, it's really dirty. Okay, and Brian, it, it Brian, to look at. Forgive me, Brian Stelter, and then I want to move on to the Google, which is a related story. Brian. 
I, you know, you, I, I said it was last season. You're saying it's new. Uh, I think bottom line is we don't know what is real and what is fake in these emails, if there is anything real in them. Yeah, but and, that doesn't stop any from, from, from reporting the Mueller and the dossier and all that I stuff. Now, I understand that you have a lot of resentment oh, about it. Now, now we have ethics. Okay, now we have ethics. Now now da- don't you dare. Don't you dare act like newsrooms didn't have ethics in 2017 and 2018. Well, I know they did. You you can dump dare me all you want, Brian. I've been doing this for 30 years. So say whatever you want. It's my view. And I have a right to say it. I was invited on the show. Your view is that the news media was unethical with Mueller? Hang on a second. I don't quite get what you're just... It's my view. Let me bring bring in Sarah Fisher. And then I was real and what is fake in these emails, if there is anything real in them. Yeah, but that doesn't stop any from from reporting the Mueller and the dossier and all that stuff. I understand that you have a lot of resentment about now, now we have ethics. Okay, now we have ethics. Now let a conservative over on Fox talk like that to a woman. Let it. Let it. Let it happen. I mean, seriously, let it fucking happen. It'll it'll be on like fucking Donkey Kong, and these are the same people that say Trump is uncouth. He grabbed a pussy. He's a piece of shit. He shouldn't be president. Yada, yada, yada. USA Today, our centrist editorial board endorses Biden. After the podcast, if you listen to Part A, how the fuck is that guy a centrist? And why is it that every newspaper always picks the Democrat? I have never read the New York Times pick a conservative for anything. That's the great fucking lady. S.E. Cup, Scott Rasmussen. A never-Trumper. Never-Trumps are a key to Biden's lead. This group of Republicans currently voting for Biden account for 4% of all voters nationwide. If they were voting for President Trump instead, the race would be dead even. Melissa Marcotte. Never-Trumpers are Democrats. Michael Steele. My party may have given up its voice on things that matter, but I have not. This election is about course of a nation and the character of our people reflected in a leader... They choose. American matters. I'm voting for Joe Biden. Joe Lockhart. Well said, Mr. Chairman. Jeffrey Barr. This morning, the Lincoln Project announced that Michael Steele has endorsed Joe Biden. That would normally be a violation of NBMSDNC rules against contributor endorsing a candidate, but I was told today that he is no longer a contributor. Although Michael Steele lists himself as a political analyst for MSNBC in his Twitter bio, I learned that his contribution was actually pushed back in August. Here's what I wrote about cable news contributor rules this summer, which matter nothing. S.E. Cup, we're not. We're patriots. We believe in country before party, and the country must be saved because we love it so much. Kurt Silster, you're clowns. There are always a few party switchers. You just have a name and a grift. Ryan James Gerdersky and believe in career before country. Because no true conservative could look at Biden's policies and literally say that's good for America. And on top of all we're going to cover... We have them actually putting out, I am absolutely unable to get over this video of Camelia Harris dancing in the rain and Chucks. It's so great. But what's missed off all of this is the fact that every event, including Obama yesterday, Warren, Harris, Biden, there are no crowds. You can't say it's social distancing. 
Obama had 50 fucking people show up. Barack Hussein Obama. Nobody's motivated. The only thing they have is we hate Trump. And it's evident. Connecticut paper runs editorial claiming every last Trump voter supports racism. The debate commission. Moderator Kristen Welker has Democrat ties. Liberal media stooges rush to defend. There's pictures of her. I've talked about it every goddamn podcast. She's a liberal. She was tight with Obama. Robert Reich wants to battle what he perceives to be a totalitarian problem with a curiously fascist solution. When this nightmare is over, we need a truth and reconciliation commission. I fucked that all up in the first podcast, sorry. It would erase Trump's lies, comfort those who have been hammered by his hatefulness, and name every official politician, executive, and media mogul whose greed and cowardice enable his catastrophe. He's number 10 that I have read. And Grant Lundgren sums it up. This is the scariest and most communistic tweet I have ever seen. God help us. Just to get this straight, Robert Reich is honestly proposing that we create a ministry of truth. Nothing to see here. Move along. And nobody is covering it. Nobody. Nobody. But these people do it all the time. Remember the lady in the park? The one who was a racist because a guy got aggressive with her and she called the cops and she was white? They just ran a story, breaking news, the white woman who called 911 on Black Bird Washer in Central Park made a second call, falsely claiming she was assaulted. Chuck Ross. And it's fake. Editor note, the New York Times and several other news organizations originally reported on Wednesday that Miss Cooper made a second call to 911 citing cartroom statements. But on Friday, people familiar with the case clarified that the second call had actually been made by a 911 dispatcher who called Miss Cooper back. This story has been updated to reflect the new information, but the title stayed the same. And simultaneously the same day, President Trump gives money during service to the International Church of Las Vegas. So I guess you can't give morning money? Same day, false stories from a Democrat-leaning group in Iowa besmirching Joni Ertz. It's all fake. Matt Whitlock. Rock Wiggleham is a comms director for Schumer Super PAC. Here she is sharing a doctored email suggesting Joni lost the Iowa Farm Bureau endorsement. The misinformation was shared and retweeted by everybody, and it was a lie. So these are the people we're talking about. That's just a few things I didn't have in the script. These are the people. And then you get Tucker Carlson... Well, let's let's do this. Here is the media telling you it's all Russia, which was disproven by DHS and the FBI. It's not. And you're not supposed to talk about Hunter Biden.
Um, I, I want to get to your uh, old line of work and your expertise on the intelligence front, because we know U.S. intelligence says that right now Russia is trying to basically manipulate the public, spread disinformation about the election, specifically to hurt the Democratic candidate and some Kremlin-linked actors trying to boost the president. Can Russia at this point actually change the outcome of the election by altering votes? Do they have that capability? So do they have capability? Yes. Is it likely? No. And we haven't seen anything to date that would suggest that we're certainly seeing in cyber the same level of activity that we saw back in 2016. I would say where I think the Russians are doubling down is a little less on cyber activity directed directly against voting infrastructure. Think about voter registration, the actual machines we use to cast ballots, the computer systems we use to tabulate ballot voting ballots. I don't think you're seeing that same level of activity. Rather, I think what you're watching the Russians do is really double down on the idea of using disinformation via social media and other paths to attempt to pull, continue to polarize our nation, to incite violence, to incite hatred, and to attempt to pull us apart. So to that point, you know, there's been a lot of speculation that this week, um, some of the information about Joe Biden's son, Hunter, that is circulated in uh, tabloid in the New York Post may be the result of a, a hack and dump operation. This is speculation at this point, that it could have come from Russian military uh, hacking of a Ukrainian gas company where Hunter Biden served. Do you see any justification for that speculation at this point? I, I, Margaret, I don't know the specifics of this case. I, again, my view would be, let's let it play out. Let's investigate it. Let's get some factual evidence. Let's get the metadata and let's see if this is accurate or not. I'm just not in a position right. really to speculate. Well, it's being compared to the hack and dump operation that happened, as you know, back in 2016. A lot of um, uh, Democrats alleging that it is that. So when you say you see Russia doing a disinformation and access, uh, spreading disinformation, is that the kind of thing you're talking about? That could be an element. So when you look at a disinformation campaign, you see the Russians using false identities. So you might think you're talking to a fellow American from the Midwest when actually you're talking to a Russian troll in St. Petersburg. Mm -hmm. So using false identity, using false information, attempting to manipulate images, the use of videos that are distorted to create an impression that is not based in fact, to try to energize individuals' emotions, their prejudices, their viewpoints, to galvanize them to work against, if you will, a, a, an outcome that brings us. There are new questions about an unverified report targeting Joe Biden's son and new reporting about possible ties to a Russian disinformation effort aimed at influencing the U.S. election. NBC senior Washington correspondent Andrea Mitchell has details on this. Hey, Andrea, good morning. Hi there, Hoda. NBC News has confirmed that U.S. spy agencies have gathered intelligence that the president's personal lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, was dealing with alleged Russian intelligence agents last year on a trip to Ukraine as part of his effort to dig up dirt on Joe Biden. Giuliani has been digging for information on Hunter Biden's work for Burisma, a Ukrainian energy company, and Joe Biden's dealings with Ukraine and China as vice president. The president using all of it to attack Hunter Biden over the weekend. They found Hunter's laptop. Where is Hunter? 
Where's Hunter? Hunter's not doing so well. Last week, Giuliani and former Trump official Steve Bannon provided the New York Post with unverified emails, allegedly linking one of Hunter Biden's Ukrainian partners with a possible meeting with Joe Biden when he was vice president, a meeting the Biden campaign says never took place. Experts say the emails cannot be authenticated. Some may have been altered or are fake. We have no idea whether or not the emails are legitimate, but this whole operation looks right out of the Kremlin playbook. Hack and dump. You, know, you keep saying focus on Joe Biden, which makes it all the more interesting, Alex, on what the former vice president is choosing to do over the next few days, which is what exactly? Well, it's really to, to dig in on debate prep. I think that Democrats uh, and, and the Biden campaign feel that they are comfortably ahead in this race, not as comfortably, they say, as media polls suggest, but that they're they are sort of in control uh, right now. And so the best thing that they can do to bring this home uh, is to deny the president the chance to uh, retake control. And the last really big opportunity he has uh, to do that is the debate uh, on Thursday. You know, to Scott's point, though, about focusing on Joe Biden, it, 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 it also matters how he focuses on Joe Biden and the Republicans I talked to. And I think based on what he just said, Scott would probably agree with this, uh, that the president going out there and taunting Joe Biden about his son and waving around these stories uh, in The New York Post that have not been substantiated uh, to make personal attacks on Biden and the Biden family. Uh, you know, I don't know a whole lot of folks outside the Trump inner circle who believe uh, that that is a winning message. And even some folks in the Trump inner circle would really rather that he focus uh, on the economy. When you talk to Republicans in the states, people who are directing these close Senate races and close House races, they look at the Hunter Biden story and they say, you know, that is red meat for people who are already for you. We would love it if you would talk to some people who aren't already for you uh, about issues like economic. The New York Post story that dropped like a bomb last week, seemingly implicating Hunter and Joe Biden, continues to wither under scrutiny, not really dropping like a bomb. The emergence of these emails, texts and videos that were supposedly left on a laptop in Delaware, a really fishy story, whether that was actually the product of a foreign intelligence operation. And obviously, Russia would be the chief suspect there. Look, there are so many questions about the provenance of this material. A lot of it does look legitimate. There are pictures of Hunter Biden. Biden, there are videos, there are emails, but we have no idea, and neither does the New York Post, whether any of it was doctored or forged or faked, and that's why the mainstream news media has declined to really touch this story, um, because it just lacks credibility, and uh, the fact that it appeared in the New York Post and that they chose to report on it extensively um, sort of says a lot about where we are in 2020 as opposed to 2016, when a lot of news organizations reported on emails that had been hacked by the Russians. Russians, uh, Democratic emails, and then leaked, and they were newsworthy, and people reported on them. We're in a much different situation now because we now know that Russian disinformation or foreign disinformation or even dis, you know campaign disinformation period is as dangerous to our democracy as anything exposed in these emails. I could play so many more sound bites of them lying about Russia, and it's not true. But before I go into the the Hunter story, and it's going to be some sound bites off Tucker Carlson, because he's been covering it in depth very well each night, really the only person that's covering it, because the rest of the media wants Biden to get elected. Here's Drew Holden's take on everybody who has said it, 
Another Russian-related lie was exposed today, this time the allegation that New York Post Biden coverage was Russian disinformation, something that every corner of the media and Democratic Party assured us was the case. Don't believe me. Take a look. And I got to read. Sorry, it didn't load the pictures because it makes it a lot easier to talk with the pictures. Fox News. Ratcliffe says Hunter Biden laptop emails not part of a Russian disinformation campaign. Get started on CNN, who had a chief Russian conspiracist named James Clapper on the program to talk about how the Post story was a classic textbook Soviet Russian tradecraft. Tell me, to me, this is just a classic textbook Soviet Russian tradecraft at work. Former director of national security James Clapper says, CNN Business, the anatomy of the New York Post, dubious Hunter Biden story. Drew Holden continues, but right behind them was the New York Times, who ran a similarly incredulous story, and whose chief political reporter, Maggie New York Times, doubled down on Russia. <clears throat> but the real leader with all things Russia hoax was MSDNC. They also managed to pull in Congressman Raja, who's a Islamist, Philip Rucker, and McFall. Why does Rudy Giuliani have access to the highest level of government to be able to peddle this disinformation? U.S. intelligence agency believed that Rudy Giuliani was being worked by Russian intelligence agents, and he's an asset. When if you read the story, he got a copy of what the FBI had for over two years from the person at the computer repair shop, who also has proof that Hunter's people called to try to get the computer so that's how he got it but you don't even want the details you want narrative and of course there's top talent get involved in the act here's msdnc's leading russian conspiracist maddo trump embraces reported russian anti-biden disinformation claim caa other spy agencies warned the white house about rudy giuliani's deeding of being a russian asset but she continues to be rivaled by the top spot by Joanne Reed. Here's her tweets. Exactly, and the media isn't required to go after Joe Biden using whatever accusations Trump and friends hurl into the atmosphere simply because the fact on hand are bad for Trump. It's strained through Rudy's utter brokenness with a response. We're not doing emails again. America, 18 days, just voted and ignore the nonsense. 18 days, just vote. Don't get facts. Don't get policies. Just go with TDS. Trump derangement syndrome, because that's going to get Biden elected. He continues. There were plenty of others. The News Hour on PBS. We pay for this. Nick Schifrin, report a senior former intelligence official, tells me President Trump's entire national security team warned him that Giuliani's information was coming from Russia. We provide contact to Joe Biden's policy towards Ukraine in 2016 and how ousting the chief prosecutor made it more likely the Burmese, which was widely considered. I'm not even covering that. Could you imagine Trump getting somebody fired, a lawyer fired and being on tape showing I got him fired? He continues, then it's NPR's Yamachi. The context also screams for caution. U.S. officials say Russian disinformation campaign have sought to keep Hunter Biden business dealings in the Ukraine in the public eye. 
Then you have CBS News, Bono's News, <clears throat> who looks the worst. One of the reporters, Bono's News, dared ask Biden about the allegation and was shot down on Twitter by his own news director. Bono's News new director, the Steve Holzer, reprimanded him tonight in public for asking Joe Biden a tough question. We've got a lot to get through on this one, so we've got to start the Washington Post, Business Insider, Newsweek, USA Today, David Korn, Mother Jones, Adam Schiff, Chris Murphy, he was all over the TV, Bid Parcel, David Silsili, Amy Siskind, Nira Tandon, Ben Rhodes, of course, the bus driver, uh, John Favaro, John Lovett, Seth Abrams, Kirk Eichenwald, Max Boot, CNN Tonight, all of them pushing disinformation. It's all a lie. They know it. They knew it was a lie when they did it. And Twitter didn't restrict their feeds. They didn't stop links. What actually transpired is they released last night that Russian disinformation was sending fake Proud Boy emails threatening people to get Trump out of office. Well, isn't that a coincidence? The exact opposite of what they've been saying for four years that Putin wants Trump. But did our media betters dive on that story? I didn't see an article last night. The only people talking about it was break-ins to Tucker Carlson. So the Hunter story, which is damning on many levels for the left, specifically the Russia, Russia, Russia lies, had a lot of transpiring, but nobody wanted to cover it. So here's a long soundbite of the last couple nights of somebody who would cover it. Good evening and welcome to Tucker Carlson tonight. Last week, the New York Post published one of the great scoops of the year. The paper's editors got a copy of the hard drive from Hunter Biden's personal laptop. On it were tens of thousands of emails, videos, texts, and photographs. Much of the material on the laptop is of limited relevance to the public. Not everything a famous person does in the course of a day has news value. Some of the pictures in the laptop were sad and weird, of prurient interest only. We're not going to show the bad ones on this show. And by the way, if we're being honest, some of the exchanges between Hunter Biden and his father, and they're on there too, reveal that whatever you say about him, Joe Biden really loves his son, and they're touching. We want to be honest about that. But there's one very newsworthy series of emails. And they stuck out. They showed that as vice president of the United States, Joe Biden tailored American foreign policy, our foreign policy, which Joe Biden does not own, in order to help his son's business interests. Biden intervened aggressively in the internal affairs of another sovereign nation, Ukraine, and his son got paid for that. By any measure, that is a real story. There's no spinning it. That's a story. But then, very quickly, something bigger than that happened, something far more dangerous to our country than anything the New York Post found on Hunter Biden's laptop. Here's what happened. The most powerful people in the world aligned to censor the news, to keep it from the population of the United States. Twitter prevented its users from sharing the story. So did Facebook. 
When Americans searched Google to read the New York Post story, many couldn't find it. So within hours, the promise of a free press that's the basis of American democracy and has been for 250 years just disappeared. One minute, we were America. The next minute, we were China. Horrifying. And perhaps most horrifying of all, our news media applauded it. The self-described guardians of the First Amendment cheered the destruction of the First Amendment. The New York Times actually ran an op-ed attacking the idea of free speech. Ideas that threaten the ruling class must be squelched, put down. That's their position. Every power center in America vehemently agreed with that. And most ominous of all, the U.S. intelligence community, the secretive federal agencies that have nearly unlimited power, joined in. Those agencies colluded with the news media to hide information from the American public weeks before a presidential election. On Saturday, USA Today kicked off the effort by publishing one of the most dishonest newspaper stories ever to run in this country. Federal authorities are investigating, the paper declared, whether the story about Hunter Biden's laptop was, quote, part of a smoke bomb of disinformation pushed by Russia. The Russians did it. That was the point of the piece. In fact, it was the only point of the piece. The newspaper never bothered to assess whether the core story was true. Are the facts right? And that used to be the very first and most important question in journalism. Is the allegation true? Everything else flows from that. But USA Today didn't even ask that question. Nor did the newspaper explain how this Russian plot might have worked in practical terms. The computer repair shop owner in Wilmington, for example, he must have been in on it. He had physical possession of the laptop. So was this seemingly mild-mannered Mac repairman yet another one of Vladimir Putin's hand-picked sleeper agents? Had he been lying in wait in a Delaware strip mall for decades preparing for just this moment? USA Today didn't tell us. They didn't need to tell us because the rest of the media understood instantly what to do. FBI probed if purported Hunter Biden emails are a Russian plot, declared Bloomberg News. PBS, which you pay for, it's publicly funded, cited a, quote, senior former intelligence official, whose salary you also paid, to claim that Rudy Giuliani was likely channeling Russian disinformation. So the former mayor of New York is working for Vladimir Putin, too. That's how vast this conspiracy was. Reporters in Washington and New York frantically called their many sources in the permanent national security state for more details. From his perch on Twitter, desiccated neocon ghoul David Frum cheered them on. Vast experience lying in the run-up to the Iraq war, he put those talents to use. In this frenzy to find this new batch of Russian spies, the media did miss a few obvious leads. For example, two people reporters forgot to call were Joe and Hunter Biden. Presumably the Bidens could have confirmed whether or not the famous laptop was real, and that would have ended the speculation. It would have informed the rest of us. But somehow no one thought to do that. Finally, last Friday night, one reporter, Bo Erickson of CBS blurted out the question to Joe Biden himself. And here's what happened next. I know you'd ask it. I have no response. It's another smear campaign. It's right up your alley. They're the questions you always ask. Oh, it's a smear campaign right up your alley. I have no response, said Joe Biden. Biden didn't deny the story because he knows that laptop from the Delaware repair shop did, in fact, belong to his son, Hunter, and we know it too. We confirmed that conclusively last week. Everything we have learned since then, and there has been a lot that we've learned since then, bolsters that conclusion. The laptop in question belonged to our Hunter Biden, period. 
It is not a Russian fabrication. So Bo Erickson of CBS asked a legitimate question. And for that very reason, within minutes, Democratic operatives, including many in the media, landed on him. The point of attacking a man who appears to be a fairly liberal CBS reporter was to send a message to the rest of the press corps. Shut up and obey the narrative or else. According to Greg Sargent of the Washington Post, quote, the real problem here is this is a useless question from a journalistic perspective. Large parts of the story are invented, unconfirmed, highly dubious. What is learned by placing the work of denying them on Biden, end quote? Notice Greg Sargent doesn't explain what parts are unconfirmed or false. No part of this story, no email has been shown to be false. They're not even claiming it's false. Doesn't matter. Another Democratic operative called John Favreau called the Washington Post, the New York Post story, Russian disinformation, included, concluded rather, Biden was too nice. Michael McFaul, he now works at Stanford, he used to work in the Obama administration for five years, attacked Bo Erickson for, quote, discussing disinformation. You're not even allowed to discuss it. And the actor of Alec Baldwin wrote this, quote, take the beat down, learn from it, and move on. What is this? It's happening in concert all at one time. What you're watching is the most powerful people in America aligning as one to hide legitimate information from the public. This is not the way our country used to operate. Are you terrified yet? You should be terrified because it worked. That's why they do it, because it works. Here are the questions reporters are asking Joe Biden now. All right. Happy milkshake. <laughs> you got one vanilla, one chocolate, but I wanted to get a, what we call black and white, but we're going to move it. Another one. We're going to split it. What flavor did you get? That was the question. This is a man who has relatively few opportunities to speak to the press, and when they get a chance, they ask, what flavor did you get? And if you don't want to end up like Bo Erickson of CBS, that's the kind of question you'd better ask the Democratic nominee for president with fewer than two weeks to go until Election Day. So after Joe Biden gave his answer, one vanilla, one chocolate, in case you missed the answer, another reporter had a follow up. Listen to how that went. So the second the words FBI emerge, Joe Biden walks away. And yet that's not even the worst part of the clip you just saw. The worst part is the other journalists. They burst out laughing before they even hear the rest of the question. Asking about the FBI was unapproved. You can't talk about that. So the journalists laughed it down. That is state media protecting the powerful. No one thought to ask Biden why if the laptop is a Russian invention, there's a letter from Hunter Biden's lawyer asking for the laptop back. Is he part of the conspiracy too? We don't know, and we're not going to learn, because Joe Biden has now gone into hiding until Thursday's debate. And that means the media can continue to collude unimpeded with our spy agencies to lie to you. It's the Russians, because Russia, and repeat after us as we say this until you reflexively believe it, because Russia is the greatest threat we face. We've got a person named Donald Trump who has been warned that he is receiving and is now regurgitating, repeating and disseminating disinformation that he knows to be fabricated and supplied by a foreign intelligence service. And despite the warning, he's still doing it. You have said this entire thing is so obviously a Russian plot. 
It is to me, and I was never even an ambassador to the Russian <laughs> Federation. Tell me why it's so obviously a Russian plot to you. Rudy basically functioning as a Russian asset by pushing Russian disinformation. CNN reported on Friday that U.S. authorities are seeing if those emails we just talked about are connected to an ongoing Russian disinformation effort. Huh. You know, at some point, you got to be honest and say, who cares what's on Hunter Biden's laptop? What you just saw is the real threat. The powerful, the most powerful in our country colluding to d dismiss legitimate questions using a fake threat of Russian disinformation. That's scary. Rest assured, though, unnamed U.S. authorities are on the case getting to the bottom of this Russian plot. There's no evidence of wrongdoing, of course, but they're still on the case. Who are these authorities exactly and who are they working for? Well, on Saturday, Senator Chris Murphy, a sitting senator from Connecticut, let us know. Murphy is a Democrat. He sits on the Foreign Intelligence Committee. Here's what he wrote, quote, Joe Biden and all of us should be furious that media outlets are spreading what is very likely Russian propaganda. I've seen the intel. The mainstreaming of misinformation is Russia's 2020 goal, end quote. That's worse than anything Joe McCarthy of Wisconsin ever said, and dumber. I've seen the intel. Notice that Senator Murphy of Connecticut didn't tell us what the so-called intel said much less show it to the rest of us so we could evaluate it for ourselves. Powerful people have seen the intel. You haven't. You must take their word for it. Otherwise, maybe you're working for Vladimir Putin. Maybe you're a Russian spy. You want to get accused of that, of treason? I don't think so. So just take it on faith, pal. Adam Schiff is working that line for years now. This week, he was back at it. Well, we know that this whole uh, smear on Joe Biden uh, comes from the Kremlin. But clearly, the origins of this whole uh, smear uh, are from the Kremlin. And the president is only too happy to have Kremlin help in, in trying to amplify it. I think we know who the driving force behind this smear has been all along. And it's been uh, the president and the Kremlin. He's been the gift that doesn't stop giving for the Kremlin. And this, this particular smear, though, uh, has also been acknowledged to come from the Kremlin. Uh, and there it is in the Oval Office, another wonderful propaganda coup for Vladimir Putin, seeing the President of the United States holding up a newspaper, promoting Kremlin propaganda. It's really incredible. It's really incredible, says Adam Schiff. Hard to believe he's still on television. Well, it is incredible. In fact, it's so incredible, it's not even true. This morning, the person who was in charge of gathering intelligence in this country, in charge of all the intel agencies, conceded that, in fact, this hysteria is an utter crock. There is no evidence the Russians are putting stories in the New York Post. That is insane. Let me be clear. The intelligence community doesn't believe that uh, because there's no intelligence that supports that. And we have shared no intelligence with Chairman Schiff or any other member of Congress that Hunter Biden's laptop is part of some Russian disinformation campaign. It's simply not true. There's no intelligence that supports that. Yeah, okay. We're not in the intelligence community, so we can't verify that. We can't tell you there's no evidence that supports it. And evidence, actual evidence, is what the rest of us make decisions based on. And there's no evidence. And by the way, once again, no one in Joe Biden's campaign has said these emails or text messages are false. And if so, which ones are false? And how are they false? And they're not even claiming that. So these claims are coming from anonymous sources and media hacks, and that's it. 
On Sunday, a Biden campaign surrogate called Jenna Arnold acknowledged that on this channel. Watch this. Can anyone say that these emails are inauthentic? And so far, I haven't heard anybody say that. Yeah, I think that's fair. I don't think anybody is saying okay, they so, are so inauthentic. I don't think anybody is saying they're inauthentic? Well, okay. Then why don't you respond to them? But in fact, many are saying they're inauthentic. False claims of Russian interference in our democracy are now a well-established fact of American political life. Like fears about climate change and white supremacy, they are very useful to the people in charge because those fears can be leveraged to strip you instantly of your constitutional rights. And that's exactly what's going on now. Now, you know why they're doing it. For the next two weeks, the point is to defeat Donald Trump, and they may succeed in doing that. But for the rest of us who plan to stay in this country, the real worry is what happens after that. Miranda Devine is a columnist with the New York Post. We're glad to have her on for the fourth night in a row to assess the story. Miranda, thanks for coming on. So you're, you saw over the weekend attack after attack leveled at your newspaper, at your journalism, on the basis of the claim this is Russian disinformation. Tell us why that's not true. Marshal the evidence, if you would. Because we have Hunter Biden's laptop. It is his laptop. The emails on the laptop are the evidence. This is not uh, some, it doesn't, you know, it, it doesn't come from Russia. It is actual emails from people. Those, the other recipients of the emails have been contacted. They have said, yes, this is an email that I was, re uh, that I received. Uh, the MacTop. Mac MacBook repair shop guy has a signature from Hunter Biden, which matches other signatures of Hunter Biden on a work order that uh, Hunter signed when he dropped off the laptop. The photographs, the evidence, it is all just speaks for itself. It is ridiculous. It is a, a fiction to insert somehow Russia into this story. This, well, the, the let me ask you to pause there. What about. is that? You, I'm sorry, you work there. You work at the New York Post and sitting members of Congress, House and Senate, office holders are accusing you and your company is acting as tools for the Putin government. What's your reaction to that? How does that feel? Well, just a kind of dismay. It's absurd. I mean, Adam Schiff is, you know, the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee. He's supposed to be keeping America safe from overseas actors. And instead, he's turning all the power of that committee onto journalists, onto a newspaper that is just trying to shine a light on what looks like wrongdoing by a man who is in two weeks perhaps going to be the president of the United States. And the rest of the media is colluding in that cover-up and, and pretending that this is Russian disinformation, a Russian hoax. It's a joke, yes. and no wonder, uh, no wonder Joe Biden feels that he doesn't have to answer anything, and no wonder because he's asked questions about the flavor of his ice cream instead of being asked what does he say about the evidence, the emails that show that he participated with his family in this cash for influence scheme. That's a really good point. Miranda Devine of the New York Post, Carlson tonight. So you just saw the president. What happened to Joe Biden? Remember him? Longtime senator, Obama's VP, now running for president. On the ballot in two weeks from today, in fact. Joe Biden was last seen a couple of days ago buying milkshakes in North Carolina, one of them vanilla, the other chocolate. He hasn't been heard from since. Given Biden's present condition, that is worrisome. If you see him wandering in a park or lost in the crafts aisle at Walmart, be sure to alert authorities. 
Biden's campaign team assures us there is no cause for concern tonight. The final presidential debate is on Thursday of this week, and he's just preparing for that. Back in his basement, practicing elocution, wargaming the election on Zoom, picking the right tie. You can't be too ready for these things. That's what they're telling us. And maybe it's true. Maybe Joe Biden really does need a week to prepare for a 90-minute debate moderated by an MSNBC correspondent. Totally possible. But there are other potential explanations as well. Last week, we learned how, as vice president, Joe Biden altered this country's foreign policy to help his son's lobbying interests. Big tech and the national media tried hard to kill that story, but it hasn't really gone away. Facts are like that. They tend to persist. They're hard to erase. This afternoon, the New York Post published yet another newsworthy document taken from Hunter Biden's personal laptop. It's a photograph, undated, that shows Joe and Hunter Biden posing with a man called Kenneth Rakashev. Rakashev is an oligarch from the nation of Kazakhstan, the former Soviet satellite country. He has close ties to that nation's corrupt government. Reportedly, Hunter Biden helped Rakashev stash his fortune here in the United States. This new photograph reveals that Hunter Biden also provided Rakashev with access to his father. So it would be worth knowing a lot more about this. That's all we know. But we should know more before we vote in two weeks. For example, how much money changed hands? What did the Bidens do in return for that money, if anything? We should know. And maybe we'll learn the answers, because there's an awful lot of material on that laptop. The leaders of the Democratic Party are very aware of that, of course, and it terrifies them. So they're doing everything they can to prevent you from seeing that information before you make up your mind. And that includes concocting ludicrous and potentially dangerous conspiracy theories about foreign interference in our political system. Yesterday, perfect example, a group of more than 50 former U.S. intelligence officials. Who are these people? They're the very same people who missed 9-11, who endorsed the Iraq war and the weapons of mass destruction. They're the same people who illegally spied on American citizens for years. Those people signed a letter claiming that the New York Post story could very well be part of a secret Russian operation designed to help Vladimir Putin's fellow Slavic dictator Donald J. Trump cling to power. Quote, our experience makes us deeply suspicious that the Russian government played a significant role in this case. Now, these are so-called intelligence operatives, but they offered no evidence to support that reckless claim, that very serious claim. Why didn't they offer any evidence? Because there is no evidence. None exists. Instead, they simply asserted it, which means they simply lied. They lied to the American public in order to influence the outcome of a supposedly free and fair election. Isn't that what they claim Russia does? They're doing it with much greater effect, and they've been doing it for years. But this time, in the final days before we vote, they're not even bothering to hide what they're doing or their methods. Senior figures in our vast national security state are working in concert with the Democratic Party to get Joe Biden elected. That sounds nutty even to say out loud, but it's not nutty. It's happening. They're showing us what they're doing. Watch Senator Chris Murphy of Connecticut a thuggish party hack, a man who's been in politics since he was 25 years old, our generation's Joe McCarthy, vomit forth this masterpiece of dishonesty.
I can confirm that their campaign of misinformation and propaganda and interference is bigger, it's broader, um, and it's more problematic than it was in 2016, uh, in particular because the Russians this time around have decided to cultivate U.S. citizens as assets. They are attempting to try to spread their propaganda in the mainstream media rather than just relying on you know bots and Facebook posts as they largely were four years ago, uh, and they've been successful. Uh, you know, Rudy Giuliani is effectively a Russian asset at this point. They have, uh, I, I think, um, you know, made some significant ground above and beyond what they were doing four years ago. A child posing as a senator. Senator Murphy's welcome on this show anytime for the hour, any day. But he's a coward in addition to being a liar, he'll never come. But here's what he's telling us. He's telling us the former mayor of New York City, ladies and gentlemen, is a Russian asset. Now, keep in mind, for 50 years, Rudy Giuliani has worked for the American government at all levels, from local to federal. But now, Senator Murphy, a sitting senator, tells us that Giuliani is a traitor, a treasonous Russian spy. It's too bad you can't sue sitting senators for libel. Chris Murphy certainly deserves that at minimum. So does John Brennan, the former CIA director, now on MSNBC. So does the former director of national intelligence, Jim Clapper. Clapper is a man who lied under oath to Congress on camera, but was never prosecuted for it because he's not Roger Stone. Both of those two, Brennan and Clapper, signed a letter claiming the Russians are behind Hunter Biden's emails. Now, what does this mean? We've said it before, and we're not prone to alarmism on this show, but we'll say it again, and we mean it more than ever. This is an ominous moment when every power center in the nation, that includes big tech, big media, the finance establishments, the federal spy agencies, when every power center aligns behind a common political goal, you have a very dangerous axis. That is far too much power concentrated in one place. Normal people will inevitably be crushed, and they are being crushed. But that's okay, the media tell us. They deserve to be crushed, because anyone interested in learning more about the emails on Hunter Biden's laptop is effectively colluding with the Russians. It just lacks credibility. And uh, the fact that it appeared in the New York Post and that they chose to report on it extensively um, sort of says a lot about where we are in 2020 as opposed to 2016, when a lot of news organizations reported on emails that had been hacked by the Russians, uh, Democratic emails, and then leaked, and they were newsworthy and people reported on them. We're in a much different situation now because we now know that Russian disinformation or foreign disinformation or even dis you know campaign disinformation period is as dangerous to our democracy as anything exposed in these emails. That's almost unbelievable. That guy you just saw, who's the NBC News intelligence analyst or reporter or whatever, some name, he was caught, and you can look it up and you should look it up, he was caught sending his stories to the CIA for approval before running them. He's working for the CIA and posing as a journalist. That's true. But notice what he's not saying in that clip. He's not saying, none of them are saying that the emails are fake. They don't want to get over their skis. They're not going to claim that because they know it's not true. The emails are not fake. Just like the DNC emails that leaked four years ago. The emails are real and everyone knows they're real. And the laptop is real. Hunter Biden signed for it. His lawyer asked for it back. And to this day, no one has shown or even claimed that a single photograph or video or document but why don't you assess the emails? What do they say? They don't tell you. It's the right-wing media machine working with the Russians. That's not even journalism. 
That's really irresponsible. Yesterday, the director of national intelligence tried to put an end to this. There is, as we've said, and he confirmed yesterday, precisely zero evidence showing the Russians planted that laptop or invented any of the documents on it or conspired to leak it or any role at all. Today, a senior federal law enforcement official told Fox News that the FBI and DOJ concur with that assessment, Ratcliffe's assessment. Another law enforcement source has confirmed that the emails are authentic, what we've told you from day one. We've seen a lot of them. They're real. Now, you may not think they're a big deal. You could make that argument, but they're real. The Russians didn't do this. But to our media and sitting members of Congress, all those denials just prove their point. It turns out the director of national intelligence is in on it, too. He's part of the conspiracy. He's a Putin agent. Watch. Director Radcliffe said there's no intelligence, his words, no intelligence that would indicate that the smear against Hunter Biden is part of a Russian disinformation campaign. Last week, the House Intelligence Committee Chairman Adam Schiff told me exactly the opposite. So how much stock do you put in to what the director of national intelligence is now saying? Well, not two weeks from today, in fact. Joe Biden was last seen a couple of days ago buying milkshakes in North Carolina, one of them vanilla, the other chocolate. He hasn't been heard from since. Given Biden's present condition, that is worrisome. If you see him wandering in a park or lost in the crafts aisle at Walmart, be sure to alert authorities. Biden's campaign team assures us there is no cause for concern tonight. The final presidential debate is on Thursday of this week, and he's just preparing for that. Back in his basement, practicing elocution, wargaming the election on Zoom picking the right tie. You can't be too ready for these things. That's what they're telling us. And maybe it's true. Maybe Joe Biden really does need a week to prepare for a 90-minute debate moderated by an MSNBC correspondent. Totally possible. But there are other potential explanations as well. Last week, we learned how, as vice president, Joe Biden altered this country's foreign policy to help his son's lobbying interests. Big tech and the national media tried hard to kill that story, but it hasn't really gone away. Facts are like that. They tend to persist. They're hard to erase. This afternoon, the New York Post published yet another newsworthy document taken from Hunter Biden's personal laptop. It's a photograph, undated, that shows Joe and Hunter Biden posing with a man called Kenneth Rakashev. Rakashev is an oligarch from the nation of Kazakhstan, the former Soviet satellite country. He has close ties to that nation's corrupt government. Reportedly, Hunter Biden helped Rakashev stash his fortune here in the United States. This new photograph reveals that Hunter Biden also provided Rakashev with access to his father. So it would be worth knowing a lot more about this. That's all we know. But we should know more before we vote in two weeks. For example, how much money changed hands? What did the Bidens do in return for that money, if anything? We should know. And maybe we'll learn the answers because there's an awful lot of material on that laptop. The leaders of the Democratic Party are very aware of that, of course, and it terrifies them. So they're doing everything they can to prevent you from seeing that information before you make up your mind. And that includes concocting ludicrous and potentially dangerous conspiracy theories about foreign interference in our political system. Yesterday, perfect example, a group of more than 50 former U.S. intelligence officials. Who are these people? They're the very same people who missed 9-11, who endorsed the Iraq war and the weapons of mass destruction. They're the same people who illegally spied on American citizens for years. Those people signed a letter claiming that the New York Post story could very well be part of a secret Russian operation designed to help Vladimir Putin's fellow Slavic dictator, Donald J. Trump, cling to power. Quote, 
Our experience makes us deeply suspicious that the Russian government played a significant role in this case. Now, these are so-called intelligence operatives, but they offered no evidence to support that reckless claim, that very serious claim. Why didn't they offer any evidence? Because there is no evidence. None exists. Instead, they simply asserted it, which means they simply lied. They lied to the American public in order to influence the outcome of a supposedly free and fair election. Isn't that what they claim Russia does? They're doing it with much greater effect, and they've been doing it for years. But this time, in the final days before we vote, they're not even bothering to hide what they're doing or their methods. Senior figures in our vast national security state are working in concert with the Democratic Party to get Joe Biden elected. That sounds nutty even to say out loud, but it's not nutty. It's happening. They're showing us what they're doing. Watch Senator Chris Murphy of Connecticut, a thuggish party hack, a man who's been in politics since he was 25 years old. Our generation's Joe McCarthy vomit forth this masterpiece. Tory flu vaccines or BLM's long-term agenda for your children. Stop. And above all, please shut up about Hunter Biden's laptop. Stop. Not another word about that. This is not a suggestion, by the way. It is an order, and it's been delivered by the most powerful people in the world. Silicon Valley billionaires, the news media, the federal spy agencies, even Borat himself. All of these people, every one of them wiser and much richer than you are, would like you to know that there is no reason to ask a single question about the documents on Hunter Biden's computer. And there are countless reasons not to ask. For starters, it's all Russian disinformation. It was planted by Vladimir Putin himself to discredit Washington lobbyists, who honestly have done nothing wrong. The documents are also, quote, hacked material. That means that not only are they fake, but someone stole them. You want to be party to theft? Didn't think so. And while we're at it, you should also know that Rudy Giuliani could very well be a sex offender, and that means that Hunter Biden's emails cannot be real. You starting to get the picture here? No more questions, America. Curiosity killed the cat, if you know what we're saying. If you care to keep your social media privileges to live in this country, you won't say a word about the laptop. Just ask the New York Post what happens when you get uppity and start thinking the First Amendment is real. So that's where we are right now, October 21st, 2020. And it's all pretty amazing. It's instructive, too. What we've really learned is that the class system in this country is real, more real than we ever knew. If you're a member of the group that's in charge right now, you can do pretty much whatever you want. Jeffrey Epstein understood that early on. When you're on the right team, you can publish someone else's tax returns or private phone calls, and no questions will be asked. Is that legal? Who cares? Laws don't apply to you. You could literally broadcast your sexual fetish live on a Zoom call and keep your job at CNN. You went to Harvard. You're too important to fire. Relax. It's not like you're a pro or think that all lives matter. So those are the new rules. If you're on the wrong team, and many are, it can be frustrating to watch all of this because you know deep down that if you dared to behave like these people behaved, you'd be in very deep trouble. You can feel hopeless after a while. But then out of the blue, something will happen to remind you that actually there is hope. Why? Because people this awful cannot rule this country forever. They're not capable of it. They are too arrogant. They're too stupid. How stupid are they? Stupid enough to let their hypocrisy show. In the end, that will be their undoing. You cannot impose rules you refuse to follow. People will not put up with that over time. It's too infuriating. And yet these people can't help themselves. 
Tonight, we've got an amazing example of this. It's a story worth putting in the Museum of Hypocrisy, right next to Bernie Sanders' private jet and the automatic weapons Mike Bloomberg's bodyguards carry. This is a good one. The protagonist of the story, as is so often the case, is one Christopher Charles Cuomo, primetime anchor on CNN, brother of a sitting governor. Before we tell you the story, however, some context. The one thing you are likely to know about Chris Cuomo, other than the obvious, which is that he has fabulous lats, is that Chris Cuomo really believes in masks, really believes with sincere religious intensity. If there was a shrine to the patron saint of paper surgical masks somewhere in the countryside of Portugal, Chris Cuomo would go there each summer. He would crawl on his knees if he had to. Such is his devotion. Here's Chris Cuomo sharing his faith. How do we help? Put on the damn mask. If you're in California, if you're in Riverside, wear the mask. If you want to avoid situations like this where you live, wear the mask. If we care about doing the right things, I wear a mask for you as much as I wear it for me. I had the disease. You need to wear a damn mask. Right. And you have to take care of other people in your community. And it's got to be about us because the help's not going to come from above. I wear a mask for you as much as I wear it for me. Chew on that for a minute. It's a powerful statement if you think about it. Shades of the Beatitudes, maybe the letter from Birmingham jail. It's deep. This man is suffering for us and for our sake and all on a cable news salary. There's something holy about that. But the question is, is it real? Is this man actually Dietrich Bonhoeffer or is he Jimmy Swaggart? It's pretty clear what his building superintendent thinks. This show has obtained a letter from the management of Chris Cuomo's New York City apartment building. This Cuomo. The date on it is August 6th, 2020. Here's what it says. Quote, Dear Mr. Cuomo, as I'm sure you know, because of the ongoing COVID-19 health crisis, on April 15th, 2020, Governor Cuomo issued Executive Order 202.17, which requires anyone over the age of two to wear a face mask or cloth that covers their mouth and nose while in a public space. Okay, that's how it starts. And it's a fair guess that Chris Cuomo already knew that because, after all, he's the mask guy. And, of course, his own brother issued the order. So with that in mind, listen to how the letter continues. Quote, you have been observed entering and exiting the building and riding the elevator without the required face coverings. Even though staff members have asked you to comply with this requirement, you have refused to do so. This is a violation of the executive order, building policy, and it places other residents and our staff at risk. There are no exceptions to this rule, and you are required to comply. The letter goes on to threaten Chris Cuomo with a $500 fine if he continues to endanger his neighbors and the city with his masklessness. That's what the letter says. Let that sink in for a moment. Now, at this point, we can guess what you're thinking. This has got to be Russian disinformation. Vladimir Putin hates masks, obviously. He's Vladimir Putin. He's bad. Bad people don't like masks. It's that simple. And Putin would like nothing more in the world than to discredit Chris Cuomo because Chris Cuomo is this country's foremost and most fearless defender of maskedness. So, of course, that's what we assumed was going on. Obviously, we read the news. But then we did some reporting. In short order, and honestly, it pains us to tell you this, but we have to. This show has confirmed the letter is, in fact, real. It's not a Russian plant. We called the building manager, and she spoke perfect English, not a hint of Slavic inflection, clearly not a Russian agent. In fact, she admitted writing the letter. We should tell you that she became upset when we mentioned Chris Cuomo by name, but we don't blame her for that. 
You don't want to tangle with the man who does squat thrusts while eating lunch. You don't know what might happen. But you do wonder about Chris Cuomo, and you worry. Will his brother have him arrested? Back in May, we learned that very well could happen. In New York, no one is above corona law. I think it's disrespectful of people not to wear masks. I mean, think about it. Do I think local government should be enforcing it? And should there be sanctions? Yes. Yes. Uh, because it is a public health emergency. Then I think there should be a penalty. Because you could literally kill someone. You could literally kill someone because you didn't want to wear a mask. You could literally kill someone. That's coming from Andrew Cuomo, keep in mind, who knows more than a little about literally killing people in New York. You could say it's his specialty. But we don't expect Andrew Cuomo to ship his brother to Rikers. Imagine being him. By day, there he is giving you more sermons about how you must wear masks. But by night, he's wandering maskless through his own building, endangering his neighbors and ignoring demands that he put on a mask. Chris Cuomo must be deeply upset with Chris Cuomo, which, of course, we already guessed from his exercise regimen. It's not an exaggeration to say that Chris Cuomo is a man at war with himself. How will this end? Mark Stein is our expert on intrapersonal crises, and he joins us now for his assessment. Mm. Mark Stein, what do you make of this fascinating case study in hypocrisy? Well, Tucker, I'm sympathetic because I think the strain is obviously getting to him. He says, wear the damn mask. He's like many celebrated, eminent people in our society. He's happy to Instagram himself standing on top of Mount Washington in a windstorm wearing a mask just in case any little droplet should emerge from his mouth and go down the mountain and out to Bangor, Maine to infect the entire town. Uh, and then it goes to the ferry on Mount Desert Island and goes all the way over to infect Nova Scotia. And, uh, and, and, and one maskless moment uh, from Chris Cuomo, and there goes the planet. But uh, then you see him behind closed doors, whooping it up in the crowded elevator, maskless, uh, enjoying the crowded elevator ride, breathing all over the other people as he ascends to his pent self. All of these people, every one of them wiser and much richer than you are, would like you to know that there is no reason to ask a single question about the documents on Hunter Biden's computer. And there are countless reasons not to ask. For starters, it's all Russian disinformation. It was planted by Vladimir Putin himself to discredit Washington lobbyists, who honestly have done nothing wrong. The documents are also, quote, hacked material. That means that not only are they fake, but someone stole them. You want to be party to theft? Didn't think so. And while we're at it, you should also know that Rudy Giuliani could very well be a sex offender. And that means that Hunter Biden's emails cannot be real. You starting to get the picture here? No more questions, America. Curiosity killed the cat, if you know what we're saying. If you care to keep your social media privileges to live in this country, you won't say a word about the laptop. Just ask the New York Post what happens when you get uppity and start thinking the First Amendment is real. So that's where we are right now. October 21st, 2020. And it's all pretty amazing. It's instructive, too. What we've really learned is that the class system in this country is real, more real than we ever knew. If you're a member of the group that's in charge right now, you can do pretty much whatever you want. Jeffrey Epstein understood that early on. When you're on the right team, you can publish someone else's tax returns or private phone calls, and no questions will be asked. Is that legal? Who cares? Laws don't apply to you. 
You could literally broadcast your sexual fetish live on a Zoom call and keep your job at CNN. You went to Harvard. You're too important to fire. Relax. It's not like you're a pro or think that all lives matter. So those are the new rules. If you're on the wrong team, and many are, it can be frustrating to watch all of this because you know deep down that if you dared to behave like these people behaved, you'd be in very deep trouble. You can feel hopeless after a while. But then out of the blue, something will happen to remind you that actually there is hope. Why? Because people this awful cannot rule this country forever. They're not capable of it. They are too arrogant. They're too stupid. How stupid are they? Stupid enough to let their hypocrisy show. In the end, that will be their undoing. You cannot impose rules you refuse to follow. People will not put up with that over time. It's too infuriating. And yet these people can't help themselves. Tonight, we've got an amazing example of this. It's a story worth putting in the Museum of Hypocrisy, right next to Bernie Sanders' private jet and the automatic weapons Mike Bloomberg's bodyguards carry. This is a good one. The protagonist of the story, as is so often the case, is one Christopher Charles Cuomo, primetime anchor on CNN, brother of a sitting governor. Before we tell you the story, however, some context. The one thing you are likely to know about Chris Cuomo, other than the obvious, which is that he has fabulous lats, is that Chris Cuomo really believes in masks, really believes with sincere religious intensity. If there was a shrine to the patron saint of paper surgical masks somewhere in the countryside of Portugal, Chris Cuomo would go there each summer. He would crawl on his knees if he had to. Such is his devotion. Here's Chris Cuomo sharing his faith. How do we help? Put on the damn mask. If you're in California, if you're in Riverside, wear the mask. If you want to avoid situations like this where you live, wear the mask. If we care about doing the right things, I wear a mask for you as much as I wear it for me. I had the disease. You need to wear a damn mask. Right. And you have to take care of other people in your community. And it's got to be about us because the help's not going to come from above. I wear a mask for you as much as I wear it for me. Whew. Chew on that for a minute. It's a powerful statement if you think about it. Shades of the Beatitudes, maybe the letter from Birmingham jail. It's deep. This man is suffering for us and for our sake and all on a cable news salary. There's something holy about that. But the question is, is it real? Is this man actually Dietrich Bonhoeffer? Or is he Jimmy Swaggart? It's pretty clear what his building superintendent thinks. This show has obtained a letter from the management of Chris Cuomo's New York City apartment building. Chris Cuomo. The date on it is August 6th, 2020. Here's what it says. Quote, Dear Mr. Cuomo, as I'm sure you know, because of the ongoing COVID-19 health crisis, on April 15th, 2020, Governor Cuomo issued Executive Order 202.17, which requires anyone over the age of two to wear a face mask or cloth that covers their mouth and nose while in a public space. Okay, that's how it starts. And it's a fair guess that Chris Cuomo already knew that because, after all, he's the mask guy. And, of course, his own brother issued the order. So with that in mind, listen to how the letter continues. Quote, you have been observed entering and exiting the building and riding the elevator without the required face coverings. Even though staff members have asked you to comply with this requirement, you have refused to do so. This is a violation of the executive order, building policy, and it places other residents and our staff at risk. There are no exceptions to this rule and you are required to comply. The letter goes on to threaten Chris Cuomo with a $500 fine if he continues to endanger his neighbors and the city. Now, at this point, we can guess what you're thinking. 
This has got to be Russian disinformation. Vladimir Putin hates masks, obviously. He's Vladimir Putin. He's bad. Bad people don't like masks. It's that simple. And Putin would like nothing more in the world than to discredit Chris Cuomo because Chris Cuomo is this country's foremost and most fearless defender of maskedness. So, of course, that's what we assumed was going on. Obviously, we read the news. But then we did some reporting. In short order, and honestly, it pains us to tell you this, but we have to, this show has confirmed that the letter is, in fact, real. It's not a Russian plant. We called the building manager, and she spoke perfect English, not a hint of Slavic inflection, clearly not a Russian agent. In fact, she admitted writing the letter. We should tell you that she became upset when we mentioned Chris Cuomo by name, but we don't blame her for that. You don't want to tangle with the man who does squat thrusts while eating lunch. You don't know what might happen. But you do wonder about Chris Cuomo, and you worry. Will his brother have him arrested? Back in May, we learned that very well could happen. In New York, no one is above corona law. I think it's disrespectful of people not to wear masks. I mean, think about it. Do I think local government should be enforcing it? And should there be sanctions? Yes. Yes. Uh, because it is a public health emergency, and I think there should be a penalty. Because you could liter literally kill someone. You could literally kill someone because you didn't want to wear a mask. You could literally kill someone. That's coming from Andrew Cuomo, keep in mind, who knows more than a little about literally killing people in New York. You could say it's his specialty. But we don't expect Andrew Cuomo to ship his brother to Rikers. Imagine being him. By day, there he is giving you more sermons about how you must wear masks. But by night, he's wandering maskless through his own building, endangering his neighbors and ignoring demands that he put on a mask. Chris Cuomo must be deeply upset with Chris Cuomo, which, of course, we already guessed from his exercise regimen. It's not an exaggeration to say that Chris Cuomo is a man at war with himself. How will this end? Mark Stein is our expert on intrapersonal crises, and he joins us now for his assessment. Mm. Mark Stein, what do you make of this fascinating case study in hypocrisy? Well, Tucker, I, I'm sympathetic because I think the strain is obviously getting to him. He says, wear the damn mask. He's like many celebrated, eminent people in our society. He's happy to Instagram himself standing on top of Mount Washington in a windstorm wearing a mask just in case any little droplet should emerge from his mouth and go down the mountain and out to Bangor, Maine to infect the entire town. Uh, and then it goes to the ferry on Mount Desert Island and goes all the way over to infect Nova Scotia. And, uh, and, and, and one maskless moment uh, from Chris Cuomo, and there goes the planet. But uh, then you see him behind closed doors, whooping it up in the crowded elevator, maskless, uh, enjoying the crowded elevator ride, breathing all over the other people as he ascends to his pen. Who knows more than a little about literally killing people in New York. You could say it's his specialty. But we don't expect Andrew Cuomo to ship his brother to Rikers. Imagine being him. By day, there he is giving you more sermons about how you must wear masks. But by night, he's wandering maskless through his own building, endangering his neighbors and ignoring demands that he put on a mask. Chris Cuomo must be deeply upset with Chris Cuomo, which, of course, we already guessed from his exercise regimen. It's not an exaggeration to say that Chris Cuomo is a man at war with himself. How will this end? Mark Stein is our expert on intrapersonal crises, and he joins us now for his assessment.
Mm. Mark Stein, what do you make of this fascinating case study in hypocrisy? Well, Tucker, I act the entire town. Much richer than you are. Would like you to know that there is no reason to ask a single question about the documents on Hunter Biden's computer. And there are countless reasons not to ask. For starters, it's all Russian disinformation. It was planted by Vladimir Putin himself to discredit Washington lobbyists, who honestly have done nothing wrong. The documents are also, quote, hacked material. That means that not only are they fake, but someone stole them. You want to be party to theft? Didn't think so. And while we're at it, you should also know that Rudy Giuliani could very well be a sex offender. And that means that Hunter Biden's emails cannot be real. You starting to get the picture here? No more questions, America. Curiosity killed the cat, if you know what we're saying. If you care to keep your social media privileges to live in this country, you won't say a word about the laptop. Just ask the New York Post what happens when you get uppity and start thinking the First Amendment is real. So that's where we are right now. I know that's a lot to really digest, but that's the only coverage other than CBS. And they surely didn't air this again because they didn't like the responses of the voters. The president has been making an issue of the behavior of Joe Biden's son, Hunter. Mm. Is that resonating with anyone? Michelle? Absolutely. I'm concerned that if Biden got into office, that, you know, if something happened with his son or things start coming out, then he's going to defend his son. He's, he's, he's not going to be defending the country. I wouldn't. Cynthia? Hunter Biden's always been an issue for me, quite honestly. His behavior is very questionable. Having said that, I'm as concerned about Hunter Biden as I am about the Trump children. We should know President Trump and his allies have repeatedly tried to tie Hunter Biden allegations to his father, Joe Biden. But a recent Republican-led Senate investigation found that while Hunter Biden's actions were problematic, it did not accuse the former vice president of any wrongdoing. They got crucified for doing that. But it's the entire media. Matt Whitlock, bizarre editorial choice for The New York Times, do a deep dive on Barrett's adoptions. The adoptions have been hard to separate from the policies of the moment, they wrote, as they forced the politics of the moment into examination of the adoption. Giving the outrageous white saviorism critique that some people are saying treatments is nuts. No impropriety in the Barrett adoption of their son, but here's a few people who we found to say terrible things about them, the orphanage and the agency for their consideration. But no Hunter Biden. No. David Frum. The people on far right and far left who publicized the obvious bogus New York Post story were not dupes. They were accomplices. The story could not have been more obvious. Fake. It had been wearing dollar store spectacles and attached plastic mustache. Glenn Greenwald, who you heard on the Tucker, who's a liberal, by the way, David Trump had spent 20 years in public life accusing his adversaries of disloyalty, lack of patriotism, working out for foreign enemies. He did it in National Review in 2003 against anti-war conservatives. Yeah, he did. He did do that. Politico spins Hunter Biden email story as possible Russian disinformation. I want to keep saying it because... They've never retracted it when it's been disapproved. 
Because now we don't believe the intel agencies. When they say it's Russians using conservative names to scare people. That's all bullshit. We're not going to cover that. That Russia doesn't want Trump in the White House goes against four years of Russia, Russia, Russia. And understand, I could have played hours and hours of sound bites just for Russia. I just played the 200. But I will play these golden oldies. Do we remember when the media as a whole covered Bubba? A horrifying racist incident marring NASCAR's reopening at the Talladega Super Speedway in Alabama, where a noose was found in Bubba Wallace's garage stall. NASCAR saying it is outraged. This comes two weeks after Wallace, who is NASCAR's only full-time black driver, convinced the stock car racing series to ban Confederate flags at its tracks and facilities. A plane also flew overhead this weekend, trailing a Confederate flag with a banner saying, Defund NASCAR. Wallace tweeting overnight, today's despicable act of racism and hatred leaves me incredibly saddened and serves as a painful reminder of how much further we have to go as a society and how persistent we must be in the fight against racism. Joining me now is Jamel Hill, contributing writer for The Atlantic and host of the Spotify podcast, Jamel Hill is unbothered. We're all bothered by this. This is just such a, a dreadful a dreadful turn when here Bubba, Bubba Wallace had been so courageous in standing up for what he believes in and in changing the sport. Uh, yeah, I mean, for him, um, you know, what he's done, how he's been able to speak to some issues that, frankly, you pretty much never see discussed in NASCAR. And for the blowback and the reminder, the painful reminder of just how much people are invested in remaining and maintaining racist institutions for him to get that message. Um, I think uh, it's just beyond unfortunate. It's sad. Um, But NASCAR, they've had to deal with maybe not directly nooses and stalls, but the shadow of the Confederate flag being considered a symbol that you often saw at NASCAR races, these very overt reminders about who this sport is exactly for and who should be a fan of this sport. Um, this is something that they've been dealing with a long time. And unfortunately, in this way, these issues bubble to the surface. And that had to be an impediment to NASCAR reaching out to a broader audience, as well as having more drivers uh, be want to even be part of the sport. Yeah, I mean, I, I think most people of color, if you've attended a NASCAR race or even thought about it, there are just certain symbols and a certain mood and a certain sentiment that has been bubbling at the surface of NASCAR events. And NASCAR has been trying to somewhat move away from it. And I say somewhat in kind of air quotes, but at the same time, you know, as someone who's attended um, several NASCAR races, there it's hard for people of color to feel comfortable in these environments when you see the confederate flag everywhere when you just get this sense that you're at something that you're not welcome at um as much as nascar may try to distance itself from that it's a living breathing part of their sport and you have a black driver you have an opportunity here to open this sport up in a new way and so for this reminder this very stunning shocking appalling disgusting reminder of who 
again, this sport is for. Um, I'm very curious as to see how NASCAR handles this because based off what everything I've read is that this had to be an inside job because this garage was only open to essential personnel. So somebody associated with NASCAR likely may have been the culprit, which what does that say for a sport that's trying to create uh, a more positive racial future? You have an update, by the way, on an FBI investigation involving the NASCAR driver Bubba Wallace. I don't mean right. to take a bit of a turn here, but we got this breaking news, and it's, um, well, it's important to get it out there. What do you got, Pete? Yeah, I think it's interesting because, remember, Bubba Wallace said he found this noose, and so the FBI was investigating whether there was some sort of a hate crime here, and now they say no, there wasn't, and here's why. They say they've now concluded that that noose was in the specific garage, garage number four at NASCAR, as early as last October, October of 2019. Bubba Wallace didn't get assigned that garage until last week. And so the Justice Department says there's no way that whoever put that noose there would have known that Bubba Wallace was ultimately going to be assigned that specific garage. So they say there's there's no there's no federal crime here. So the fact that we have a noose uh, in a garage in, 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 in Bubba Wallace's garage, uh, that's just one indication that there's going to be a pushback. Uh, but as we challenge um, uh, these old views of who we take ourselves to be, um, we're going to be moving into these spaces country music, NASCAR, uh, the South generally. Um, and there we're going to have to confront our ugliness directly. Mm. Uh, it's not going to be easy, but we're going to have to do it. So, Eddie, you know, one of the things that happened I found just as striking in some ways in the other direction uh, was a, the reaction among some conservatives to the Bubba Wallace story. There was, I guess, inevitably, you had people like Dinesh D'Souza and, and Mark Dice and, and others who came out immediately and said, you know, that they think uh, that this is all made up, that the noose, we didn't get to see the noose, we didn't get to see pictures of the noose, we, the picture we saw isn't really, it's a, you know, basically questioning the legitimacy of the story, claiming somehow that this is a Jesse Smollett thing. That, that was obviously the right reaction in social media was, was to cast doubt on this, even at a time when we've seen six black people who've been found hanging from trees uh, around the United States in the last couple of weeks in California, Georgia, New York, Oregon, Texas, uh, and a lot of them inexplicable, unexplained, not investigations ongoing, some claims of suicide that have been cast doubt upon. But even as we're seeing six African-Americans hanging from trees in the last couple of weeks, you have a conservative reaction to Bubba Wallace, which says, well, this is obviously fabricated. It's obviously fantasy. Um, Tell me a little bit about, about what you think about that and whether, at the same way that I found the support and the solidarity so moving, I find the reaction incredibly infuriating and partly because it's kind of inevitable that that's the world that we now live in in this very polarized political environment. You know, John, it's infuriating, but it's very familiar. Uh, Jimmy Baldwin, the late American writer and critic, once said one of the most difficult and frustrating experiences of being black or aspects of being black in this country is that we're constantly having to convince white America that what is happening to us is real. Uh, and one could just simply substitute conservative America, right? That we always have to convince uh, a certain segment of the population that the hell that we're catching is actually real. And the reason why we have to do that is because we have to confront this world of make-believe, this willful ignorance, this innocence that so much of the country inhabits. And the reason why we inhabit that, that bubble of in innocence John, is because we don't want to confront 
what this these these events might say about us. Right? We don't want to, if we admit that what's happening in the country is real, we have to confront what we have done to allow it to happen. So this is a part of that American ritual, that American theater of race. Something ugly and barbaric and cruel happens. We deny it in order to protect our innocence, and then we move forward. This is what we've done for since our founding, and here we are in this inflection point. We have to challenge it for what it is so that we can imagine ourselves of it. Hey, Glaude, there was no one I wanted to hear about more, hear from more about this topic than you, and, uh, and you delivered, as always. Thank you, my friend. That was completely a lie. The entire story was false. It goes back to Michael Brown. Hands up, don't shoot. Our entire media was on board. But we've done the same thing with COVID. We started with fighting Trump, then blaming Trump. And here's just a a slice. A montage of lefties saying you're stupid to fear COVID. And then we get into the Cuomo stuff and anti-vaxxing. You shouldn't take the vaccine if it comes from Trump. To New Yorkers for coronavirus is low. And our city preparedness is high. This should not stop you from going about your life, should not stop you from going to Chinatown and going out to eat. I'm going to do that today myself. Come to Chinatown. Here we are. We're, again, careful, safe, and come join us. There is no concern at this time for coronavirus in our region. The Department of Sanitation is ready for Mardi Gras 2020. The facts are reassuring. We want New Yorkers to go about their daily lives. There's really no need to panic and to avoid activities that we always do as New Yorkers. We are a hardy people. Americans do not need to panic. What I would suggest, however, mm-hmm. is that Americans take this as a wake-up call for seasonal flu. There's very little threat here. This disease, even if you were to get it, basically acts like a common cold or flu. So we're telling New Yorkers, go about your lives, take the subway, go out, enjoy life. And certainly not to miss the parade next Sunday. I'm gonna be there. If you had to, would you close down the borders? No. We need to be honest about the American people, with the American people about the fact that we can't keep people coming here from China. And transmission is not that easy. I think there's been a misperception um, that coronavirus hangs in the air waiting to catch you. No, it takes direct person-to-person contact. We also know that if it were likely to be transmitted casually, we would be seeing a lot, a lot more, more cases. cases. Right, right, because yes. this is New York, and you're in elevators exactly. and trains exactly. with, with everybody all the time. How confident are you in the approval process of the FDA right now? Well, first, uh, how confident am I? Uh, I'm not that confident, but my opinion doesn't matter. I don't believe the American people are that confident. You're going to say to the American people now, here's a vaccine. It was new. It was done quickly. But trust this federal administration and their health administration that it's safe. Uh, And um, we're not 100 percent sure of the consequences. I think it's going to be a very skeptical American public about taking the vaccine, and they should be. So what's it going to take to convince you that it's safe, that it's effective, that it should be distributed? Well, what I said I'm going to do in New York is we're going to put together our own group of doctors and medical experts to review the vaccine and the efficacy and the protocol. 
And if they say it's safe, then I'll go to the people of New York and I will say it's safe uh, with that credibility. But I believe all across the country, you're going to need someone other than this FDA and this CDC saying it's safe. And that means we're going to need a change in the White House. Is that what you're saying? No, I look, I, I personally hope for a change in the White House, but put that aside. Uh, if this administration continued, the CDC, George, and uh, the FDA doesn't have any credibility. You have Dr. Fauci now saying that uh, they basically tried to muzzle him. He has the highest credibility in the nation on this issue. Uh, and then uh, not only is the vaccine safe, this administration is learning nothing from the past. What they're saying is the day we get the vaccine, that's when it ends. That's not true. The day we get the vaccine, we then have to prove to the American people it's safe. We then have to administer millions of doses. And that is a massive undertaking that this administration hasn't even talked about and is going to take months. And if it's not done right, will be a debacle like back in January and February when we made so many mistakes with this COVID. Let's stay on the economy because the City Journal just put out an article comparing job losses in New York City to the rest of the country. In manufacturing, the U.S. lost roughly 6 percent. New York lost 19 percent. In retail, the country lost 5 percent. New York lost 13 percent. In business, the country lost 7 percent. New York lost almost 14 percent. In hotel and restaurant, U.S. lost 22 percent. And New York lost 49 percent of the jobs. Why is New York doing so much worse than the rest of America? Is it just about density? No, Stephanie, it's about facts and reality. Remember what happened here. New York had many more cases. Uh, New York was the hardest hit because the fundamental, the first government error was we had a White House saying China virus, China virus, China virus. It wasn't the China virus. It was the European virus. The virus didn't come to the United States from China. It came from Europe. It migrated from China to Europe, Italy, France, Spain, and it came here from Europe. The president did the China travel ban he loves to talk about January 29th. The virus was gone from China. It was in Europe, and they didn't do a European ban until March 16th. That means the virus was coming here on planes from Europe for three months. Most of those flights were landing in the East Coast, many of them in New York City. That's why New York was ambushed by that coronavirus. And that's why we had to shut down the way we did. And that's why you see the economic numbers down for New York, because we shut down. But you now are reporting on states in the West that didn't shut down and didn't take COVID seriously. And now you're seeing their cases go up, right? So uh, it, it makes the point. Yes, we shut down because we were ambushed, but we got the virus out of control. Those other states that were in denial, that's where you're seeing the increase now. There is no second wave, Stephanie. This is the first wave that they never came to terms with because they denied it. And now uh, you're seeing the numbers go up. Then we can go to, well, we're not going to talk about Hunter. 
We're not going to talk about his taxes or any of his policies, but we're going to make up shit about a kidnapping done by an anarchist that, if you research, was an anarchist, anti-Trump person, and a bunch of ex-vets who just assume that they're all conservative, fucking white nationalist pieces of shit. And Whitmer's going to be able to be tracked around to say it's all Trump's fault. Attorney General, do you believe President Trump's rhetoric, like that liberate Michigan tweet, is partly to blame, is partly responsible? I know it is. All you have to do is look at the evidence in the case. I mean, every time the, the president makes a remark about our governor and calls her a dictator when she's doing nothing more than trying to save lives of people in our state. Over 7,000 Michiganders have died of COVID-19 since the pandemic began. Every time he does that, instead of supporting her efforts to protect our state residents, he engages and, and attains attraction for these individuals who want to do harm to our state elected officials, to our law enforcement officials, uh, and, and of course to the governor. And if you look at where a lot of these individuals uh, who sought to do harm to the governor, the 14 individuals, six of them charged in federal court, eight of them charged by my office, um, many of them met at these same rallies that were uh, in protest of her orders that were trying to save people's lives here. And I find it to be absolutely despicable. I agree with the words of Joe Biden, and I look forward to having a commander in chief that tries his hardest to support those in our nation instead of trying to cause civil unrest uh, and anarchy, which is exactly what he's done. How do you um, how are you going to account for um, lockdown fatigue, mitigation fatigue? I mean, that is real. We know this is real um, in your efforts this time to convince uh, your constituents to abide by the rules. Yeah, so last night the president talked about lockdowns. We haven't had a stay-home order since late spring. But I know that he never lets the facts get in the way of comments that he's making. Every moment that we are not focused on the fact that there are 220,000 Americans who have died from this virus is good for him. So in that sense, as he incites additional violence against people who are just trying to save one another's lives, it's good for him. And that's why I don't want to talk about him endangering public servants' lives. I want to talk about what he hasn't done, and that's his job. The Trump virus response is the worst in the globe. I mean, in the world, it's the worst. Eight million people have been um, have contracted COVID-19, 220,000 dead. We've got people in food pantry lines who never would have imagined that they'd be there. And no uh, light on the horizon because our numbers keep going up. This is a gravely serious moment for all of us. And if you're tired mm-hmm. of lockdowns or you're tired of wearing masks or you wish you were in church this morning or watching college football or your kids were in person instruction, it is time for change in this country. And that's why we've got to elect Joe Biden. Whenever could a Republican get away with this shit? Blaming a sitting president for a virus. And remember, if we go back to the beginning of this podcast when we or beginning of covid when we literally talked about h1n1 and 61 million infections and 45,000 then we stopped really tracking deaths nobody nor should anybody ever have blamed obama unless 
Obama literally invented this shit in the Chinese lab and it got out. How is it a president's fault? They do what they can do to protect the country. And he did. While the left literally chose to play politics with it. It's just like the WMDs. I know I use that analogy a lot, but that's really when I started becoming politically aware. My entire adult life, Iraq was the devil, and Saddam Hussein had the fucking doomsday device, and we were all going to die. And that came from Democrats, Kerry, Hillary, Bill, Pelosi, you name them, all the media. He was able to do that during his whole impeachment, toss fucking tomahawks at empty tents, and, and we were good with it as a nation. And then the war started, and... There were no WMDs, and the left got to start the assault of, oh, um, yeah, yeah, he lied, people died. I mean, the media is so bad. Here are just some I just got right now. I, just right now, I went in really quick to see, you know, any new stories before I close the podcast. I always do that. And here is MSDNC literally saying... Fuck the DNI. I mean, something that they accused Trump of. Remember? Trump was lying. So it's still Russia. All right. It is still Russia. And then a story of what Kristen Welker, the next debate moderator, these are questions she's asked Trump. Now, tonight, the FBI announced this very short notice press conference. They said to alert the American people about some serious election security matter. And and we think these vote Trump or else emails were what they were talking about, but it's hard to know. They never actually said what they were talking about. Two of the four officials who stood up there at the podium didn't talk at all. None of them took any questions whatsoever, which means it wasn't a press conference. It was just a press release they read out loud. The FBI director was one of only two officials who spoke at this event this evening, and he said substantively nothing. He just spoke in vague generalities about how hard the FBI is working to make sure everything's cool in the election, and you should call them if you see a crime. He said nothing specifically about what's happened here at all. What we got at this odd not-press conference was a written statement read aloud by the director of national intelligence, John Ratcliffe, who was recently appointed by President Trump. What he delivered in the statement was definitely some drama, right? Less than two weeks from the election, this short notice press conference on an urgent election security matter. There's drama to that. But when it comes to what he actually when it comes to what he actually communicated, frankly, nobody actually knows what he was talking about. We would like to alert the public that we have identified that two foreign actors, Iran and Russia, have taken specific actions to influence public opinion relating to our elections. First, we have confirmed that some voter registration information has been obtained by Iran and separately by Russia. This data can be used by foreign actors to attempt to communicate false information to registered voters that they hope will cause confusion, sow chaos, 
and undermine your confidence in American democracy. To that end, we have already seen Iran sending spoofed emails designed to intimidate voters, incite social unrest, and damage President Trump. You may have seen some reporting on this in the last 24 hours, or you may have even been one of the recipients of those emails. What are you talking about? Spit it out. I mean, this is the newly appointed director of national intelligence, John Ratcliffe, who up until now has had a little trouble remembering that the office of the director of national intelligence is not supposed to be an arm of the Trump campaign. Um, I mean, we assume that what he's talking about here is these intimidating vote Trump or else emails that were sent to Democratic registered voters in Florida and in numerous other states. But maybe that's not what he's talking about. I mean, why would you look at those vote Trump or else emails and describe them as an effort to damage President Trump. I mean, these are threatening emails literally telling Democratic registered voters that if they don't vote for Trump, a violent far-right group of Trump supporters is going to come after them and hurt them. And by the way, we know where you live. How is that an effort to damage President Trump? The director of national intelligence uh, is calling this an attack by Iran. At least I think this is what he's describing as an attack by Iran. But he also said it's designed to hurt President Trump when clearly this is designed to do the opposite. So maybe he's talking about something else altogether. We don't know. He never explained. 2020 vision? Some Democrats who sailed to victory overnight sparked fresh speculation that they're already eyeing the battle ahead. But even some of the candidates who came up short aren't being counted out. Instead, getting buzz as future stars of the Democratic Party, including Beto O'Rourke, who put up a tough fight against incumbent Senator Ted Cruz in Texas. We will see you out there down the road. And Tallahassee Mayor Andrew Gillum, who went down in defeat in his battle for Florida governor, but keeping the fighting spirit. I can guarantee you this. I'm not going anywhere. Mr. President, yes or no? Have you or are you now? Have you ever worked for Russia? Yes. I or never no? worked for Russia. And you know that answer better than anybody. I never worked for Russia. Not only did I never work for Russia, I think it's a disgrace that you even asked that question because it's a whole big fat hoax. And here are two recent ones. One from NBC who literally says that, you know, uh, this shit's real. And two, Chuck Todd, Biden is mourning in America. Trump is scorched earth. With 27 days until the election, America's top spy hunter is concerned about foreign efforts to influence the vote. He spoke out in a rare interview with our Richard Engel. Are you seeing any efforts ramping up from Russia or China to try and sway the election one way or the other that, that Americans should be wary of? We're very confident that election uh, infrastructure and posture is very resilient. We're not worried about changing votes at scale, uh, but we are worried about influence of the American voter and the ability of the American voter to understand where they should get real information, especially when they're voting, how to vote, where to vote, be patient when you vote, be prepared. Bill Evanina says China wants Biden to win, while Russia prefers Trump. Is Russia putting out disinformation to help get President Trump elected? And is China actively engaging in a disinformation came, 
campaign to help uh, Vice President Biden? Yeah, they all are. And I would throw Iran in there as well. And Vladimir Putin, at the end of the day, wants our country to eat itself. He wants mass chaos here in the U.S., as does China, but not from economic perspectives. We see all three countries, Iran, China, and Russia, all engaged in enhancing and exacerbating protests on the West Coast. You said Vladimir Putin wants chaos in the United States, turmoil. Just go outside. Did he win? I think we right now are helping him facilitate uh, getting him to smile every day. The most important thing we could do this November and currently now is vote. It show Vladimir Putin and Xi Jinping and the Ayatollah that we make a de- determination who our elected officials are. Period. Evanina said foreign adversaries are also trying to dig up unflattering information about candidates, campaigns, and prominent Americans. The best solution, he said, is for voters to try not to be distracted by all the noise, because it may be put there on purpose. The candidate's closing arguments could not be more different. President Trump is stirring up feuds. Joe Biden is urging voters to take on problems, not each other. We are seeing two very, very different closing messages from these two campaigns to kick off this final stretch. The president stirring up feuds. He hit the trail in Pennsylvania last night, escalating his rhetoric around this idea that Joe Biden is somehow a corrupt criminal who should be in jail. The president has been leaning on his administration to open uh, a criminal investigation so he can say that there is an investigation into the Bidens, based primarily, it seems, off of the unverified constants of a mysterious laptop that somehow Rudy Giuliani got his hands on that some officials worry is tied to a Russian intelligence op. To put it simply, the president's closing message is a familiar, if amped up, version of the scorched earth divisive politics of the last four plus years. The Biden campaign, meanwhile, is striking a notable contrast to that message with an ad that hit the airwaves last night during the World Series, targeting the millions of people who were not focused on politics, but focused on Dodgers versus Rays. Here's a bit of that spot. There is only one America. No Democratic rivers, no Republican mountains, just this great land and all that's possible on it with a fresh start. Joe Biden doesn't need everyone in this country to always agree. Just to agree, we all love this country and go from there. And let's go from there. Uh, The ad is drawing comparisons, and I think correctly, to President Reagan's famous Morning in America ad. Going back to this closing message business here, you know, the Biden campaign, it's in some ways, they've been telegraphing this closing message from the beginning of this campaign, right? Fight for the soul of the country. You see where he's closing. Barack Obama is now. What is the closing message of the Trump campaign? Because it, is it all grievance? Is it all complaints? Does he have anything to sell? No, I play those because, remember, we spend most of our time saying that there's an alternate fact universe that the right uses and Fox News uses. And that's Rachel Maddow literally going against what her own fucking media company is saying, that it's true. And Chuck Todd, a guy who introduced America to Antifa normalized him as a great agency of truth and justice and fighting fascism. Scorched earth. 
What has the left done for fucking four, four years? Nothing but scorched earth. And that's just, I just tuned in for two seconds. There you go. Back to the script. This reporter should get dizzy from her fanatical pro-Biden skin, spin. Whether White House reporter for Washington Post or political analyst for MSDNC, the mission is same. Spin furiously for the DNC. On Sunday, meet the press, of course. WAPO pundit Ashley Parker performed a fur- furious triple axle spin for Joe Biden on her family profiteering in Ukraine. He called Hunter his beautiful son, so he's in the clear. And then some more Team Biden. CNN sees Biden voters that are shy. MSDNC's Veshi collaborates with Arona to attack ACB some more. Because we're not going to talk about fucking Biden. Per Biden memo, ABC warns viewers not to get complacent. Because Trump might actually win And my God, this is media now. Pat McCrory, what is the president's message? Not what should it be in these closing two weeks, but I want to, I mean, here he spent the last two days, he spent spent part of his week attacking fellow Republican senators. Uh, Obviously, he didn't like what Ben Sass said. Um, He went after Susan Collins, not worth the work because he's upset that she's not going to vote for Judge Barrett before Election Day. Uh, he called him Senator Little Ben Sass. Perhaps the Republicans should find a new and more viable candidate. Um, what the pes- president has been focused on this week obviously probably isn't what you would want him focused on. But is that the president's problem? We don't know what his reelection message really is. Well, I, I think that is an issue. He has not controlled the message, and part of that is because of the virus. But there have been September and October surprises also. You had the Woodward Burke book, which comes out every election time. You had the Melania Trump tapes, which was incredible how someone tape recorded the first lady. And so he's been on his heels on this and many other issues. But now Joe Biden, whether you like it or not, is going to have to deal with a Hunter Biden October surprise between now and Election Day. And so I think that's you know, going to be Parker, a major issue yeah. in addition to the virus. Ashley Parker, it, it, the the fact that the Trump campaign wants and hopes that this questionable hack and we don't know, there's a lot of questions surrounding the story. If this is this their last this is their last card they're playing, this is all they got left. Yeah, potentially, as you said, it's a rerun in many ways of 2016. Um, but but the landscape is different. The Hunter Biden stuff, uh, some of it's not verified. Some of it may seem unsavory for Hunter, but but it doesn't really attach to his father. And some of the stuff that come has come out in the hack is actually makes Joe Biden seem like what voters already believe, a decent guy. In a text with his son, Hunter, who has struggled with drug addiction, you have Joe Biden and saying, good morning, my beautiful son. That's not exactly opposition research, especially for Americans who have their own family members struggling with addiction. No, that's for sure. Yeah, look, I, we keep talking about this as if there's nine-dimensional chess going on, and I think it's tic-tac-toe. I mean, I don't even think it's checkers. I think this is, at this point, you have a pandemic where thousands and thousands of Americans have died and cases are rising, and the president's images. Instead of fighting that reality, enforce it. 
when he's speaking at large rallies with unmasked people, when he's staging these super spreader events, and when he's attacking governors who are trying to battle the pandemic. It's, you know, we call it a strategy. I'm, I, other people have referred to it as political suicide. Yeah, yeah, I'm not <laughs> sure it is a strategy. You know, I, I may be closer to political suicide. They, by the way, when they look at something like that Tulsa rally that collapsed so horribly, people can make up their minds. You know, they may not necessarily tell the pollsters, they may not necessarily give every indication of how they're going to vote, but people don't want any part of this. Uh, and it, unless there's a more effective response to it, I think this is going to hurt the president badly in the last two Senator, good to see Aloha. you again. Good morning. Let me ask you about this. There may be many Americans uh, who uh, maybe for the first time confronted that discussion about sexual preference versus sexual orientation. And there may actually be many Americans who use the term sexual preference without realizing the, the implications of it or, or what it implied. It's different for a judicial candidate, though. It's different for uh, a, a candidate to the Supreme Court bench who may be hearing mm -hmm. cases uh, that apply to the LGBT community of course and uh, as I mentioned in, in my questioning she did not use those terms uh, accidentally those are terms used by people who are uh, not supportive of LGBTQ rights and in fact your previous uh, guest said that she, Amy Barrett will take the Supreme Court way to the right she's probably even more to the right of Scalia who wrote the major dissents on all gay rights cases so one of the, the precedents that will come up for this court, because two justices, Thomas and Alito, have already signaled that the seminal case of Burgerfeld that allowed gay marriage, uh, they said there's no constitutional basis for that decision. And that is why Obergefell, uh, I think, will be a case where she will not support the gay rights position. So, so it's, it's also, Ali, her, her position on precedent, because she believes that every justice should decide for herself what the Constitution requires. And if the precedent conflicts with that assessment, then that she will be prepared to overturn the precedent. Joe Biden's campaign ahead in the polls, blasting out that memo to supporters, warning them not to get complacent or get a false sense of security in this final stretch. His campaign manager saying that if there's anything that the party learned in 2016, it's not to underestimate President Trump. Dan, they are still expecting this to be a very tight race and key battleground states that could decide this election. Rachel Scott, thank you very much. So much to talk about here. So let's bring in our chief anchor, George Stephanopoulos, who's going to be hosting this week later this morning. Let's yeah. just pick up on what, uh, good morning, well, let's pick up on what Rachel was talking about with this Biden memo. Do you think it's based on polling data or on a fear that somehow Biden supporters might get complacent because they're looking at these positive polls? PTSD. Democrats have a strong case, profound case of PTSD from what happened four years ago. They're not going to take anything for granted this time around. Now, if you, if you compare where Biden is to where Hillary Clinton was two weeks and two days out from four years ago, he's got about three times the national lead. But the battleground states are close. And Democrats remember that at the last minute there was a surge in votes for the president that is less likely to happen this time because he's the incumbent this time undecideds usually break against the incumbent they broke for president trump four years ago but the democrats aren't going to take anything for granted where does early voting fit into all of this and what do you make of these long lines it just changes everything dan i mean 26 million people more than 26 million people have already voted that's about 20 percent 
of the total vote in 2016. We have never seen anything like this before. It's very possible that you're going to see by election day, 40 to 50 percent of the country has already voted. Now, the question right now, Democrats seem to have the edge in the early vote. But what we don't know is that cannibalizing votes of, of people who are going to vote for the Democrats anyway, but they're just banking those votes now, and it gives a skewed uh, look at what's happening. We don't know the answer to that yet, but there, it seems like there's almost no question that we're going to have record turnout in 2020. It's just utter garbage. We've tic-tac through four years, Russia, COVID. It, it has just been garbage. But each and every night, we were told that Fox's state-run media, Trump is the devil, a fascist. We've watched our streets get burned down. And somehow, MSNBC goes on, 45% of Americans are in poverty. 25% of them die yearly because of Trump. For the people who are watching and hurting, what, what's that issue here? So I saw that Pelosi spoke with uh, Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin. It seems one of the big issues is this national testing, um, that they don't want certain aspects. They want to leave the national testing to the local states. They think this should be handled at the state level. What's the problem with that? And how is this the sticking point while people are hungry and starving? Well, the pandemic is not over for any of us until it's over for all of us. And so I want to bring in now Bishop William Barber, who's the co-chair of the Poor People's Campaign and author of We Are Called to Be a Movement. Bishop Barber, I'm so happy to have you with me on this Sunday morning because you and I have talked about the stark reality for the American people all across this country as eight million people uh, have plunged into poverty. What's your thought on the current situation and how can we connect the humanity of what's happening with the political maneuvering in Congress? Well, thank you so much. And here's the real deal. Let's make it even plainer. You cannot get out of this without dealing with the issue of poverty and low wealth. And I'm saying that to all of the politicians. We've got to say the way poverty ought to be the upfront issue. We already had 140 million people in poverty, 250,000 dying a day before COVID. Now we're saying 8 million more people have fallen into poverty since May. Anything to get him elected. And I think I end, as I always do with This Is America, with what we're seeing as an independent conservative, not a Republican, not a Trumper, an election that's supposed to be the most important election in our lifetime. We're all going to fucking die. Nobody has played like 47% at nauseum, like... Grab the pussy. As stated, we've had Sandra Fluke. We've had the 47... We've had the fucking 47%. McCain's gonna die. You never heard gonna redistribute and we're going to fucking... uh, You didn't build that bullshit with Hopi Changey Man. You didn't hear Hillary in her deplorable moment get replayed past two weeks. But Joe Biden started his campaign with a deplorable moment and he ended on a media member asking him not about Hunter, not about packing courts, filibuster, all illegals legal. No, he got asked what flavor ice cream he got. And it's a perfect example 
of the garbage media we have in our supposed free assignment, a society. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. It's time for the worst soundbite. When the liberal media is pushing one of them agenda story and says, This is America in 2019. If elected, my view is that you will have to will have to address these issues straight on. And the words the president says matter. So when a president stands up and divides people all the time, you're going to get the worst of us to come out, the worst in us all to come out. This president talks, constantly talks about equality without, without lecturing, talks about and has administrations that looks like the country and the rest. It changes attitudes. And it's about the attitude of the country. Do we want our kids? Do we, do we really think this is as good as we can be as a nation? I don't think the vast majority of people think that. There are probably anywhere from 10 to 15 percent of the people out there that are just not very good people. But that's not who we are. The vast majority of the people are decent. We have to appeal to that and we have to unite people. Bring them together. Bring them together. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Re- Mr. Vice President. Thank you, and, and, and also thank you. Mr. Biden, Mr. Biden, what flavor did you get? We got one vanilla, one chocolate, but I wanted to get a, what we call black and white, but we're going to move it. Another one. We're going to split it. And one more qu- That's garbage. That is just garbage. You, you could never get away with that as a conservative or anything, but a TDS-infected media that have not put out any facts with a social media that literally is manipulating the vote, information. I mean, it is straight-up garbage. Garbage. Everything these people said... Everything they do could be what I started with. Jerking off during a company meeting. Those are the people that are our betters. Who sit there and say the uneducated voters vote against their interest. Who don't even flinch. I mean, notice, I didn't play the you ain't black. I didn't play all the other. There's a black lady doing my fucking... Uh, grocery store stocking without her. I wouldn't have food. I didn't even cover that shit. That's all there. The man has, because of 16, Biden has the easiest run for president anywhere. So that's why I say he's probably going to win. If he can't and Democrats can't get the Senate with this much of a layup, I, I just don't have faith in the electorate. I really don't. Because most people don't research. They don't look it up. They don't look at his values. They go with, well, do I like that guy? Would I have a beer with him? And the TDS with Trump is so severe. The hate, which is why I started Part A with it. 
that hate of this individual, it, it's something I've never seen. It, it just, it makes the George Bush not look as bad. And it was bad. They called him a monkey. If you remember. When you Googled, he was the dumbest person in the world. So, for the election special, all I could do is lay out facts and show a brief synopsis, really, of Hunter and the facts. And I know it's a long soundbite, but it's the only soundbites you're going to find. They have buried it. They have buried him sexually assaulting a woman. They buried his deplorable. They buried buried his fucking support of the Bubba story. They buried You Ain't Black. They buried everything he's done. He has been sitting in a basement. And somehow, some way, we're supposed to believe the polls are on average 5% to 6% Biden nationwide. Everything is Democrats because they're the party that America aligns with. And even that stupid statement by Stephanopoulos, Democrats always vote early, you fucking idiot. They've always voted early. Early voting is not a sign who's going to win. But they're so in the front. I mean, they are... They are heading to the barn on this. They believe it's a done deal because they've done everything they can. All the states in the compact are going to go with the electoral vote. So if there was a state that Trump won, he's not going to get the electoral votes. They got all these states across the board that regardless of what laws say are going to allow votes to trickle in for up to a fucking week, which just invites voter fraud or Tossing more ballots in garbage cans, which we've shown. And Pennsylvania did it, folks, because they had 372,000 votes set aside because they were fucked up. Duplicates. How many fucking stories do we have to cover to show they're so confident because they've cooked the social media, they own the airwaves, we've talked about no policies, we've just hammered on, you know, two scoops of ice cream, he ordered a malt. And they're rigging the election. What they don't talk about is what are normals going to do when this election goes to Biden and you reflect on the fact that you don't see Biden signs. You know nobody who's voting for Biden. And you don't want to be locked back down for COVID. What are they going to do? And how are they going to act? And will those protests on January 21st, Inauguration Day, be covered like the Women's March and Antifa trashing fucking Washington, D.C.? Will that be something that gets covered? No. If, God forbid, they can't walk to the White House, because that's why this group started it with Bush, if you recall, and then did it with Trump. Will the media say, well, it's very unfortunate he couldn't. The people have spoken. They don't want him. This election's rigged. And then you find the DNI and you find that Russia and Iran are working to push the electorate away from Trump. The exact opposite of what they lied about in 2016 that Russia was aiding Trump, and he's an asset, and Rudy Giuliani, the fucking pedophile, is a Russian asset. 
And every network ignores it. Will there be allowed hearings? Will we repeat, like I talked about, every time these parties lower the bar, the next party goes with it? So will there be instantaneously Ukraine hearings? Will there be an impeachment of President Biden? And will we really just get Harris? Because that's what they want. The establishment Democrats. How will that fly? We talk about a peaceful transference of power, and the media has been hedging that Trump won't leave the White House without SF and black helicopters. They've never accepted the 2016 election. So on the inverse, if the polls are wrong, what are they going to do if Trump wins? How much damage are we going to see? And this was all brought to you by the Democratic National Committee's greatest asset, the media. ABC, NBC, CBS, PBS, CNN, MSDNC, WAPO, New York Times, Boston Globe, you name a paper, Gannett, which owns every fucking paper, have participated in a coup since November 2016. And if they don't succeed in the American people electorally pull off a fucking victory like 2016 again, what's going to happen? Because we've already reported they're at every place trying to fucking rig this shit. They're not going to concede. They're going to fight every vote. That's a fucking broadcast on your network like it's normal. While they say what Trump might do. It's a shit show. Trump may be unpresidential and uncouth and act like a jackass and his Twitter account is fucking embarrassing. But what the media has done and what the left is doing is un-American. So that wraps up another episode or two episodes or six hours. Jeez Louise. A Flyover Politics Podcast. Please feel free to share with your family and friends. Send comments to F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. FOP Podcast Gmail account. You can get this show on SoundCloud, Podcast Addict, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, and Down in Pocket Cast. And I'm sorry, there's no Google Play. Remember, check out Twitter account at FOP Tony Reed. We're going to go with the next podcast of uh, Thursday, 29 October, Year of the Lord, 2020 cover a few things, and then we'll do a post-election. November 3rd should be interesting to see where we end up. I know this is a week in advance, but I just thought, you know, I'm going to punch this out because on election day, I have a crack appointment to my pain management, and I will use that as part of the fourth show to kind of talk about, yeah, this is what I saw and the conversations and things like that. Make sure you disconnect from all your devices. Don't give the yeah, yeahs. I apologize for the length, but this was the election special. There was so much stuff, and I could have gone longer. I could have done each subject for its own podcast, thought about it. It's just so much content that I decided I'm going to do this big monster six hours and let you listen to it over a couple days and digest. 
And once again, send me your feedback. Got anything to add to the show, do it. If I miss some things, talk to me. And tune back in for Thursday, the 29th of October show, where we'll do it all again. Ending with the violence montage. I, I, I just don't Take even care. know why there aren't uprisings all over the country. Maybe there will be. People need to start taking to the streets. This is a dictator. You know, there needs to be unrest in the streets for as long as there's unrest in our lives. Enemies of the state. Show me where it says that protests are supposed to be polite and peaceful. Do something about your dad's immigration practices, you feckless. When they go low, he kicks. How do you resist the temptation to run up and wring her neck? The biggest terror threat in this country is white men, most of them radicalized right up to the right. I thought he should have punched him in the face. So even if you lost, he insulted your wife. Yes. He came down the escalator and called Mexicans rapists and murderers. He said, well, what do you think I should have done? I said, I think you should have punched him in the face and then gotten out of the race. You would have been a hero. I'd like to punch him in the face. I said, if we were in high school, I'd take him behind the gym and beat the hell out of him. Punch some people in the face! When was the last time an actor assassinated a president? They're still going to have to go out and put a bullet in Donald Trump. And that's a fact. Look as his character is stabbed to death. Where is John Wilkes Booth when you need him? I have thought an awful lot about blowing up the White House. A Missouri state senator is under investigation by the Secret Service after saying she hopes President Trump is assassinated. I will go and take Trump out tonight. And if you see anybody from that cabinet in a restaurant, in a department store, at a gasoline station, you get out and you create a crowd. And you push back on them. And you tell them they're not welcome. And sadly, the domestic enemies to our voting system and wow. our honoring our Constitution are, are right at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. They're not going to stop before Election Day in November, and they're not going to stop after Election Day. And that should be, everyone should take note of that on both levels, that this isn't, they're not going to let up, and they should not. If you think we're rallying now, you ain't seen nothing yet. And part of the challenge we have as a nation is that a significant swath of Americans still support Donald Trump. They support his vision of America, and that is rooted in racism. It is rooted in a desire for power at the expense of everyone who is black and brown. And so what we have in this problem is a, is a, is a spiritual kind of tyranny of the worst impulses, uh, you know, as uh, Dr. Meacham said, um, you, know, nar- you know, sort of weaponizing narcissism. That will send a shockwave through this country. And Donald Trump may not accept the results, but who gives a because the rest of the country will be forced to. I'm at the point where I'm ready to put these police in the fucking grave. I'm at the point where I want to burn the fucking White House down. I want to take it to the senator. I want to take it to the Congress. I want to take the fight to them. And at the end of the day, if they ain't going to hear us, we burn them the fuck down.
Excuse me. Thank you for listening to Flyover Politic Podcast. Please check out our Facebook page at FOP Podcast and Twitter account at FOP Tony Reed. Remember, it's a short ride. Make every day count. Thank you.